At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. All right, guys. Welcome to Knife Talk. This is a knife podcast for knife makers, knife enthusiasts, DIYers. I'm Jeff Fader from Fader Knives. Usually I'm here with Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives, and I am here with Mareko Momasi, Momasi Fire Arts. But Craig sent in the bat signal. He's a little bit, he hasn't been sleeping well. The baby has not arrived yet, but he just needed a, needed a little bit of time off. So we, we called in the rookie, the, the rookie, the clutch <laughs> hitter. We called the clutch hitter, Fingal Ferguson's with us. And hey guys. it's great to have you here. Yeah, my, my grandmother, I think, is part Welsh. So hopefully that will be enough to, to allow me <laughs> to okay. in. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, you know, we know that Luigi Putin Lockwood isn't born yet, so, so we, you know, hopefully, you know, maybe by the time this is edited and put together, we'll have a better idea. I know he's he's been incredible what he's taking on at the moment. So yeah, this is best of luck with everything going ahead. So how are you guys doing, Morocco? How was your week? The last week has been good. Uh, it's been productive, even though uh, I've spent the week uh, fixing mistakes. So a couple of weeks back before I went on um, my week-long tour of the lake house on the island, um, I was making a knife, and I got through all the finished grinding after forging and all the heat treat everything. And uh, on the back of the integral bolster, there's a small flaw that just goes too high up, and there's no getting through it because the bolster is already kind of narrow front to back already. And grinding through it, would solve the problem if I had more material on the bolster, but I don't. And so I had to start over on that. So this week has been um, fixing that problem uh, by making new steel. I actually had to start. I didn't have any extra steel from that pattern. So I had to start over on the material um, and make fresh material, spend a few days doing that and forging a blade out. Uh, But this second round, I've made some changes um, and cleaned up some stuff before I even started forging the blade that helped um, me get a good finished blade. 
So uh, truth will be told today after uh, I get done with the recording. I'm going to head into the shop. I'm going to do the finish grinding on the knife, and we will see what that's looking like. But otherwise, um, the week's been good. In fact, actually, last night, you were in my dreams, Jeff. Me? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I had a nightmare about you, Jeff. <laughs> okay, so should, do I dare ask what the dream was? Yeah, about no, no, or? it was super harmless. Uh, it was okay, actually okay. there were a lot of knife makers in the dream last night, and it's honestly it's people I haven't seen in a long time. Um, so I have a few friends over here on the West Coast, uh, Ian Rogers and Jeremy Spake. They're a couple guys I hadn't I haven't seen in a long time. Um, and obviously, Jeff, I talk to you every week, but I haven't seen and hung out with you in a long time. And uh, it was interesting in the dream. You had your own little kind of a, kind of a pub in a way. You only served beer and wine, um, and it was like a twelve seater, super small. And you just did whatever food. It was like you were cooking dinner for people, um, and Whoa. we're hanging out and making pizza. And uh, <laughs> there was this ridiculous panini press though that was like a high. It was like a hydraulic forging press that somebody turned into a panini. <laughs> Not a, I bet it's been done. I bet it's power, been done. Power Hammer Actually, Panini's. Oh, you know what? I guarantee it hasn't. You imagine how you did your steaks, but instead you make some grills and you press you, a sandwich? Kiss blocks. Yeah. You just have a kiss block. Yeah. You, you get two plates and then a kiss blocks and you're, you got your We got to get Chris Zepp on that. Yeah, hey, you get that wrong and it's a crepe, though. <laughs> yeah, That's or it just squirts out all over the place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did uh, when I uh, cooked with Charlie Palmer. I, I I put a big block of steel in the in the even heat, got it up to fifteen hundred, and then I had the one two three blocks at was the right height, and then I had the steak on a, uh, in a on a sizzle platter with the one two three blocks, and then I put the plate that Chris Zepp made me. Yeah. 1500 degrees on top and then it was it was awesome i mean it was like perfect it was perfectly cooked it was awesome yeah the steak so, looked yeah. great the oil all over the bench though that was that's i got it that's always gotta, gonna be gold someday i gotta <laughs> come up that that if you go deep 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 into charlie palmer's chef charlie palmer's uh instagram there's a the video of me live live cook, <laughs> cooking with him and then at the end at the top of my oil contained squeeze bottle came out and it went all over the place it was kind of they thought it was funny after the fact but yeah you know, I'm glad to have, I'm glad to have been productive in your dreams. Yeah, it was right great. Now. No, it was cool. It was cool. And your and your wife was behind the bar serving beers and wines to a few patrons sitting there at the rail. Wow, and that was nice. Wow. It was cool. Proper family um, business. That's it. Yeah, it was Proper great. Family business. Well, and it was beautiful. There was art all the way. It was very. There was a lot of natural light. There was art hanging all around it was beautiful i was like man i could really what? actually see jeff doing something like this wow you've you've have such a high opinion of me that's amazing <laughs> that's way higher than opinion of myself in a restaurant so you, you, you should do a pop-up at blade show <laughs> oh my god you know what that you know, in the basement what's it what's it called actually that, that's something I, I i the the thought almost went, went through my mind to kind of go over to to blade show and like the be an interesting adventure but um so much planning but it, i don't know that what's the name of the the place where everybody meets oh the, the pit the pit, the pit. There you go pop up at the pit that would be the way yeah well I, you know what you make jokes that there have been a few opportunities for me to bring my whole paella rig oh and yeah i have these i got these 36 inch pans that feed you know 
60 people you know it's just a ridiculous amount of paella and i had the 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 rig i got everything like that it it has been i was going to do it one year at maker camp and i was just like it's all too much it's just too much that's a real case of like this will be an amazing idea when you're there like why the fuck did i do this (laughs) well you know that's the thing is you can prep it all when i've done paellas like at my hammer in you can prep it all as you know you can prep Mm -hmm. it all and then you're just kind of like putting it all together and it can be a lot of fun yeah, yeah, oh, but the friends job. you make, you you connect with people in a whole different way, and it is something that that so much work and last minute kind of pressure, but but they do have the rewards tenfold. Well, that's what that's that's what you do. I mean, you have this beautiful mm. outdoor kitchen with that. Uh, what what is that? You have that big steel. Thing oh, the plancha! The, it's a plancha. Tell, explain the whole plancha. That thing is amazing. That was an adventure with a, a friend. There's a guy called Hendrik Lapel who um, who's based in Kinsale. He's a German, but he's more Irish than the Irish in many ways. But he so he's retained that perfectionism and the efficiency of the Germans, but the Asher fuck it, it's grand kind of attitude of the Irish, and the creativity is great because he's a, a I love the term. He's a culinary mason. Which, um, which oh, I, I've got to give the tip of the hat to. What a, what a title! Um, so he builds cooking areas. So he focuses on wood burning ovens and kind of hangout areas and and, and grills galore. Um, I have great friends five minutes away who have yeah. a, a, a blacksmithing place there, and we went through the scrappy. And he was building um, a very insulated equivalent of a um, rocket forge. Uh, aren't they rocket forges? What are they called? The rocket stoves. Yeah. Um, but it was designed for a sort of a, a boiling system. So we took this this bit of kit that was on the top of the heap and reinvented it to become a rocket stove that comes up and hits the bottom of a plancha trapped in a box. So within five minutes, you have this incredible heat from a very efficient rocket stove. And um, But you can take the whole thing apart very quickly and turn the whole thing into just a big fire pit if you want to. But uh, yeah, it's it's great. You wake up in the morning and I'm terrible in the morning. So just throw a couple of sticks in and you're boiling a kettle straight away. And then in the evenings, you just have a very quick cooking surface. And there's something about that cooking straight on iron and that big, thick slabs of metal. Like it's just the way to go. You can make all the mess you want and just cook it off. <laughs> yeah, nice. it, sounds, it sounds like it's a pretty even heat. Ah, yeah. Well, there's an in-even heat, but an even, even heat would be better actually, yeah. Well, you know how that we, you know what we say. We say that Even Heat is a sp- proud sponsor of Knife Talk, the manufacturer of the finest heat treating ovens available. Go look at your next heat treating oven at evenheat-kiln.com. Or if you want to order one, go to Soul Ceramics. And if you go to knifetalk.net slash heat, you, the listeners of this podcast will use that link and they get $75 off their Even Heat oven and free shipping in the United States. So go get yourself that Even Heat at Soul Ceramics. Back to the show. Don't worry, Craig. You're not going to have to do a fucking thing, okay? Got it? Got it? We got you squared oh, away. You know what? Maybe that's the move. You do a pop-up in the Even Heat booth at Blade Show. Do they ever turn those things on? I don't think so. Okay. Could you turn one of the salt know. ones into like a, a sort of a tandoor or something? Like that? <laughs> I tell you what. I tell you what. Those guys. I don't think they have the opportunity because they're moving them so fast. I think the people are just taking them right off the. Spence and the guys are like they're moving so many even heat ovens. They can't afford to turn one on. Somebody you know take no, it. But even even this car. side of the world. I mean, that's that's everybody I seem to know kind of over this side of the world has them as well. I've got I got a couple of them, and uh, they are they are so wonderfully handy just to and the great thing about them is just the the parts you know there's the, you can anything kind of goes wrong when you are so far away from the states you know it, there is ability to sort it out fix it and and everybody carries those parts as well so it's um I've been, but i mean in regards to mine. like 
pop-ups and stuff like that. I mean, that is the natural progression for, you know, hammer-ins and knife events and, you know, to kind of like, especially culinary. You'd think that there'd be more kind of culinary events with like, you know, cooks involved. And I know that there've been talks about that. And I think that they did something similar. I think you were at one of those not too long ago, Marek, a couple, maybe a couple of years ago. Well, where I, it was like I got more culinary. one in the works that I'm talking oh, you, that, but I, we don't have, we haven't talked, we're not talking about it publicly yet, but we got, we got some stuff. Me and Neil oh, coming over, got some, got some stuff in the works. That's the move. I mean, see, that's the that's the interesting thing is is like you know you're talking about your dream where you're in a bar and you're, everyone's talking and hanging out. I mean, that's the lot. I mean, I think that probably more business gets done at the pit at, at Blade Show than you oh, think. Yeah. You know, it's like having that opportunity to to have that relationship between knife makers and cooks and 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 food and stuff like that is just obviously the logical progression. Fingal, hmm. what have you been up to lately? We haven't heard from you in a while. How are you? I'm good, busy. There's there's a lot of things happening. It's a kind of almost that feel of spring, an early kind of thing is coming along. The sun was hitting me today. Beautiful. Um, but uh, yeah, we've been playing around. We're kind of going through a planning kind of thing at the moment, trying to get a biogas thing for the farm, which is this means to sort of create natural, like uh, a gas that can drive sort of boilers and things like that from the sort of the, the, the natural wastes from the farm. And mm. it's kind of, they're, they're, they're pretty much all over the world, but not many in Ireland. So we're part of a kind of a... Mm. Uh, 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 I suppose an, an initiative to try and get a few um, few places, a few farms to kind of do it. Um, so I'm kind of interested in that, but you know we have to get it across the the kick line of the of the um, of the planning permission. Apart from that, making knives, I got a new toy in today, a high speed mini mill, which um, I've kind of Whoa. I'm not I don't know much about milling. I've always kind of you know I wouldn't be a stranger around them, but this one's kind of more like a a sort of a CNC, but a manual version of it. You know, it's a high-speed one for sort of playing around with bolsters and things like that to sort of tune it in. So that was my, my toy today. Um, and, yeah, we've just finished building um, a sort of an extension for the house. So I've got to do a bit of landscaping around that. And so that's been, I mean, that's been years kind of going. Like we've, you know, with all the delays over the past couple of years, it's taken its time. But I think we have the, you know, the the... the the extension itself is finished, but I'm looking forward to spring cleaning. I mean, that's the thing. It'll become the home will no longer be a building site, which it has been for the past four years, which can be depressing. But uh, I'm looking forward to kind of seeing friends who we haven't seen for years come and stay. So that they're kind of oh, big things that, that we're kind of looking forward to. You know, it's um, it's nice. I'm looking forward to this year. It seems to be a very positive one. I got a feeling that the mill for you would be i mean when i think about the work that you do i, I would imagine like you get that grant and edge business down I, th I feel like when i look at grant and edges in the custom knife world i feel like you could lock that up like you, your yeah, grant and edges are like my favorite yeah a friend actually a friend um a wonderful friend from high bank orchard um that produces amazing spirits and and apple products and they grow their own uh, they have an organic apple orchard they um they first introduced me to the the, the grant and edge um, he is in a obsession with them, and um, but I, I suppose I I haven't tried doing it with a, a fully hardenable st like steel. I've always kind of done them with the sort of sumanagashis and the sanmais and the things that have sort of soft cladding, because they're mm. much easier to sort of um, you know do the, the scallops in and probably a bit more forgiving and you know you'd be wary of heat being produced because it's pretty much a finished blade at that stage so sure. um, when i'm kind of doing them and i think that this mill now is probably more i don't know i tried doing a little bit of work on metal with it today but because it's a high speed one it might work differently with with sort of harder metals or even like non-ferrous you know so i mean like brass and 
carbon fiber and nickel silver and all these things are really what I have intentions to sort of grind at. But um, like any toy, you, you kind of push it to its limits and find out what it can do. Sure. Um, but yeah, no, the, the the scallops, do you know, that's a labor of love. I think I'd only want to do a couple of them a year. Um, and I think you do have to have the technology and a CNC kind of base system with coolants and everything to kind of like, and that's again, I suppose, getting into bed with computers and that set of things that I'm very weak at. But, can uh, you yeah. can you explain to the listeners who don't know what a Grant Nedge, what a Grant Nedge actually is? Well, the Grand Edge to me is actually when you have alternating on either side scallops that kind of are either on the edge and vast majority of the time are on the edge or just above it. Um, and I think they were a company in the UK who were doing this. It was like a carving knife is the, 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 the style I'm kind of more familiar with. Um, and I think it was kind of an efficiency, that waviness of the edge kind of created a sort of an efficiency of, of sort of slicing. And, and, and I think maybe probably gave it kind of some bite as well in its own kind of way. But um, I wouldn't kind of call what I've done in the past, maybe Granton or Granton or Granton. Um, I'd kind of feel that the um, the scallops, I was just feeling on paper one day again, trying to say how I could approach something um, originally. And I just did the sort of the zigzaggy kind of approach and then found a way to kind of tie it in with the spine and the, um, the uh, sort of the, doing some kind of engraving um, down the spine and so tying it in with the scallops and just having the, the release, the food release element of it. But, but yeah, it, it was, um, it's an interesting thing, but you, you know, you could make four knives in the same time as you could do one of those. So right. <laughs> there's a, a case of logic over everything else. Um, Mareko, have still... you ever made it? Oh, sorry. Sorry. Mareko, have you ever made a Grant Edge? I have not. Um, my, my S grind approach has kind of been, um, the way that I've been, uh, that I've tried to approach the whole uh, food release as well as reducing cut friction. Uh, and anytime you can reduce surface and engagement with the food, uh, whether it's through scallops or if it's with a S grind or, or, you know, you see Charlie Ellis and Dan Benninger doing like the B grinds and all these complex compound grinds, all of that, just the biggest goal in my eyes is to reduce the engagement with the food, which helps it sometimes release nicely from the blade, but also more so and more interestingly is that it helps reduce the cut friction. I hear a glass of something getting poured. Look, 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 look. <laughs> Sorry, it's Mr. Grant Ned. Mr. Grant Ned. I know it's evening time over there, but geez, oh, yeah. no, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, but yeah, so I've only done an S grind to help um, with the kind of the reducing the friction of a cut, uh, so that the blade slides through the fruit uh, easily. I love the idea because I, I just recently talked to Salem Straub again on Full Blast, and I, and I love the idea of having it be a part of the design and. I would th when I when I talk about you know um, Fingal's granite edges, because you don't do them in like a monosteel blade, you use them like with sand mai with when mm. you know, and then the the or whatever's behind you know or Damascus is kind of behind it. It is such an incredible look because it's so striking and it's it's such a striking element. Well, the, the layers the layers tie in nicely with the um, right. with in in this in the sort of sumanagashis and like I I wouldn't kind of change i wouldn't play with the pattern you know when you get the sort of sheets like from tekafu um you know with the the different the 36 or the the 67 layer sheet um sort of they come in and kind of flat unless you're making your own and um if you don't kind of 
hammer them up and sort of distress the layers, which is, I suppose, where the word semenagashi comes from, the sort of Japanese of oil on water and that, that um, mm. you know, the art, the art is also, it's, it's also in the, in, in the art world. Am I right, Jeff? I don't uh, know. Japanese, I think they use it towards, that. there's a sort of a water. Do you know when you lay um, oil on water and then you shuffle it all around and then you put paper on top of the surface and then take the paper off? It leaves a certain type of art or something like that. And that's referred huh. to as sumenagashi as well as the sumenagashi in the steel um, uh, terminology. Um, so I, I think it's just all the sandwich steels. Like I said, the, the, the middle layer being the hardenable steel. But the, the softness, I haven't actually, I think the, the Rockwell of, of like the cladding is usually 30 something, 30, 30 something Rockwell. And your core is 60 something. So it's, um, but yeah, the, the, um, if there's nickel in the layers and, or anything else like that, it really pops and you can play with sort of the laminations and, and, and sort of, but yeah, if you do have that going slow kind of ability, then it's, it's nice to match them up. And the last thing you do is sort of probably go back to a flat platen to, to kind of crisp up the edges of the, of the scallops afterwards. Well, if I was going to make some grant and edges, I'd be using combat abrasives. And if you go to combatabrasives.com, <laughs> he put in promo code knife talk 15, you're going to get 15% off the abrasives you need for the grant and edge you love. Ladies and gentlemen, combat abrasives back to the show. <laughs> Beautifully done. <laughs> Checking them off. One, two, three. All right. I love it. <laughs> well, my my day today has been so bizarre, and for some reason, Fingal kind of like falls into it somewhere because <laughs> you do. It's true. It's true. It's true because I uh, I had to go today. I I uh, actually today I got the message from Craig. He wasn't going to be here. I was taking pictures of the streets of the street that I got pulled over at. I basically <laughs> two years ago exactly right after I came back from Doghouse Forge on the eve of the panty, I uh, I got pulled over. This cop was on a sidewalk. He couldn't see me. I, I you know I he he pulled me over and he knew it was a bullshit pullover. He couldn't see me and he thinks that I rolled through the stop sign and then. So two years later, I'm thinking, did they forget about it? Did they throw it away? I don't know what the hell happened. I was you know I was obviously I didn't throw myself around at the time so. I thought, but I was terrified for the last two years. I was just like, am I going to, if I get pulled over. Is it that I, big a deal? I mean, like, I, I know if you fucking tear through a stop sign at full speed, it's probably one thing. But if you kind of crawl over the edge, is that what this is about? Well, you know, the funny and thing. And also it, late at looked, night, right? It was late at night and Nobody it was a, it was a terrible <laughs> spot. He couldn't possibly have seen if I had come to a full stop or not because the stop sign was before the underpass and without getting into the details of it. It was like and then when he took and then he ran my car. My, I mean my, my my idea is like my my driving record's crystal clear. I drive like an old lady. I have a fucking crystal clear you know, so and he knew when he came back it was just like he could have let me go and he just gave me the ticket. I was like, Oh just I just want to get home, you know. So I finally got the message that I got to go. It's a court appearance. And I went to, so this morning I'm, I'm down taking pictures and then Craig sent me a message saying, oh, he, they're too, they're zapped. And Amy's like, she's had it up to here with, you know, Luigi Putin Lockwood. He's <laughs> this kid is like <laughs> driving her crazy. And you know, so I thought uh, maybe I'll, you know what, let me see if Fingal wants to come in. And I was taking pictures and messaging with you and, He's been in touch to, with about sixty people, and I was the last resort. Man, this is you were the first. You were the first. You were the you were the first and the last. So don't worry about that. So I got to the courthouse, and I was waiting around. I was looking at my phone, and I got a message from 
UPS that had gotten a package from Gabine. So I was, that's Fingal had sent a package, had sent a few packages in the mail, and I was excited. But then I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. Now I have like a dossier ready to tell the judge, well, here's the stop sign. If you look at the stop sign, the, pol- the police officer was, he couldn't have possibly seen it. And I was prepared. And I, you show pictures and you show your interest. In, but I'm t- okay, you know. are you allowed to kind of jump over the stall, kind of saddle up to the judge, pull your phone out of your pocket, kind of lean into him, kind of like, you see here in a small image of my phone? Like well, this. see... I oh, did you have? Did you myself. have a dude a projector? <laughs> you brought I, with you. I took I took pictures and then I printed them up and then okay. I was like, and then I was prepared for like at least have some defense because, you know, like if you get points on your license for like, uh, what is it for like driving infractions? You know, the points on your license, you, you know, your insurance company sees it and your rates go up. Or if you get too many points, they take your license. Away is it the same you. over but, here? I think you have like twelve points, but like doing this is two points. Doing that, you know, speeding is yeah. three points. Okay. Okay, same thing. So I was listening to all the other people, and the other people had been, the same thing. These are all like two years ago, you know, after the during the panty, everything kind of backed up. So everybody else was two years, and I was just listening. And so the prosecutor was giving people, telling people what they had done, what you're charged with, and then what we normally give you is this and this and this and this. But I, the the prosecutor says, I'm willing to, in front of the judge, I'm willing to drop it down to a parking ticket and no points and no record. For you know, so everyone was. It seemed as though everyone was getting the same deal. A couple people were like, you know, fucking wackos. There was one woman. (laughs) You're being charged with driving through this one woman who looked like there's just no way she can get in a car. She was so big, and she. You're charged with going through a uh, a train uh, over train tracks while the train was going, and then you (laughs) failed to yield the. And then that's three points, and this is two more points, and this. I was just like, holy shit, they're gonna fucking lock this bitch up before before they before they finish. So I decided that I was like, okay, they, there was no ability for me to do any, uh, like, you know, uh, whatever, talking to the judge except for the question. So, so basically what I was watching, she was saying, this is no time for litigation. If you take the, you know, the prosecutor's uh, plea, uh, uh, you know, deal, yeah. then we can just be done with it. Or if you don't believe it, if you, if you want, you can just fight it and then we'll go to court. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm like... I'm crossing my fingers. I'm, I'm not going to say too much. I'm going to be very polite and fast because everybody wants to get the hell out of there. I'm going to really cross my fingers that they're going to drop it down to no record, no points, and, a, and a, you know, hopefully no fine or a very little fine. So I get up there, say your name, and then she says, failure to come to a complete stop, and, and failure to stop, and, and then we're, we, that's the three points plus this, plus this, plus this. I'm willing to give you no points, no records, and then you just pay a fine of $175. So I'm just like, that's fine. Because in my mind, I already missed half a day at work. If I were to have to get a lawyer... Mm. To fight 175 bucks, I'm not going to beat that. But you, 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 you always fuck. have to, you know, you're, they always have to win. If using they is such a harsh word, but you know what I mean. Like, there's always that element of, yeah. of you can't oh. just ever get completely get let off. It so was just, such a fucking scam because, like, yeah. it was such a scam. They totally shook me down. The the cop knew it, the judge knew it, they all knew it. And they were just like, okay, we won't put any, like, you know, you know, points in your license. Just fucking pay. So I go in, and, I, and so I'm thinking to myself, oh, all right, fine. And I, and I got out and I'm waiting in line to pay. And everybody outside the courtroom, all the court officers are all laughing and joking and making jokes. And all these poor people are like, half of them can't afford to pay their bills, you know, today. They're, they're waiting, they're begging the judge to give us, you know, give them whatever. And yeah. so I go up to pay and the guy says, oh, we don't take checks. And there's a uh, 7% 
uh, credit card service fee. No. I said 7%. They just do cash. Well, I didn't have cash. I didn't have, a, no, I didn't have 175 bucks. What, what, they want the money put straight into their they account. They want a money them? order. They want a money order or they want a uh, money order or I guess I could have brought in cash. I didn't think to bring cash. I thought I'll, I'll pay a check or I'll bring a credit card. So I said 7 per fucking percent. Who's getting the service charge? And the guy who was behind the counter was all funny. He goes, well, you know what my grandma always says? And as soon as he said that, I said, don't get pulled over by the police. <laughs> and the guy behind me started laughing. I said, or, or, and then he's just like, no, everyone's got to eat. And I said, you know what Hunter S. Thompson said? Words of the wise are irritating. That's what he said. So, so I was just like, this is some, I said, I can't. and then all Jesus of a sudden I'm just like, Christ. I can't control myself. I was like, this is some. This is like all I that pent up shit is, is is coming oh, out. I'm, <laughs> I'm fucking yeah. I'm like I'm almost out the door and I'm starting to lose my mind and I'm just like I cannot believe I'm getting shaken down and then another seven percent from the goddamn credit card company. So I got out. I leave. I'm like at least at the very least I have this beautiful box from Gabine waiting for me. I just hope that no one like stole it off my porch. So I'm running back. I'm heading back. I see the box. I bring the box inside and I see this green tape. On the green, this beautiful box with a big pig on it, and it says Gabine, <laughs> Fingal Ferguson. It looks just a, it's a dynamite. And I look at the green tape, and the green tape says, inspected by the Border Patrol. I know, my heart went into my throat when you sent that picture as well. My, I know, I my, sent you the picture before, immediately. Before you tell this, my, my, my mother sent a care package to my sister when she was in Australia a long time ago. And... Um, she put everything into this box from from home and sent it on over. And this giant box arrived sort of three months later in Australia, some twenty years ago. And inside the box is like this has been opened by customs. This huge box, and inside all you had was a box of Barry's tea and a packet of Tato crisps. Oh, this oh huge list of everything that had been confiscated. <laughs> and I remember at the very bottom of the list was hibernating butterfly. And I remember my mum saying, "Oh yeah, I saw it on the counter and it's beautiful." So I scooped it. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I found this bottle of uh, pestilence. We're yeah. going to send it abroad. I know. That was so funny. But yeah, no, anyway, t- tell the story. Well, so, you know, I open the box up and they're right out of the bat. There's this, I have the note in front of me. It says mail interception notice. And it says my name and address. And it says from Fingal, Gabine House and Skull Ireland and all that. And then there's this checklist of like, uh, they went through the box and they found prohibited material removed and destroyed. And the description <laughs> of it is pork meat. I so know. Pork so it's meat. meats, basically. It, it meets well, the issue. But I can't believe it. Because like, there was cheeses that were just wrapped up in, in, in paper and stuff. You and know there what? No, no labels or anything on that. And I thought it was kind of... It says, uh, contains meat, blah, 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 may carry uh, animal disease due to blah, blah, mm. blah, blah, blah. So here's the oh so it says uh, they they the remarks were 200 kilograms of pork meat no documents provided prohibited entry partial shipment so here's the funny part they so I'm opening it up and it's the cheeses and the beautiful cheeses and I'm just like all right well I'm just so grateful to you for sending all that and then all of a sudden there's this tube and I look at the tube and it says um, it says pistachio salami on and I'm like. How do they not forget the fucking? How do they not? They don't read it or something like that. What, what, you know, sneaky Ferguson. So I open it up, and all of a sudden I was just like, "Holy shit!" 
Fingal Ferguson knows how to hide the salami. Legitimately. <laughs> Literally, Fingal hides the salami. My and darling, so if I was going to hide me. a salami, you'd know about it. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, you make jo- you can, we can make all the jokes we want about hiding the salami, but he literally <laughs> hid the salami from the fucking... <laughs> so, it's, so it just seems as though they... Uh, and hopefully that will be the name of the show, Craig. Fingal hides the salami. <laughs> But the, the, I guess, I guess because the, I guess the, the other meat you had sent was like in clear. Yeah, no, they were they were all um, back bags, like little portions. They I were actually they were, they, 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 they were the only things that were properly labeled in the box. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was so, but it was like you know. So all of a sudden, I'm thinking like I got I got taken twice by the by the authorities today. I was like, they I got hit I got hit up at the at the at the courthouse. I got hit up when I had to pay, and hey, I got hit. You know up what? You you can take that patrol. home. Take take it out in a fondue later, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody somebody I said I put it on my post, and somebody said I bet they. Ate it. I bet they yeah. have like this beautiful. I bet the it's border been destroyed. Patrol, they, the border patrol has this stomach. amazing charcuterie board. Like at the yeah. end of the day, and they're just like whooping up on. What do we have over there? Oh, they're looking at that big pig. I think if you didn't have the pig on the big, yeah, beautiful they're, they're pig using on the they're box. using flick knives to sort of like <laughs> sort of bad legal knives to sort of like cut up all the meats with. Oh yeah. So, but I mean, the guy's handwriting was immaculate. It was really beautiful. Actually, it takes it a certain reminded, type of person, I think, to deal with that much. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, His, customs, I imagine, you actually have to be a certain the, type of character as well. I'm sure. The hard part, the hard part about this mail interception notice is is the the handwriting looks just like my former stepmother's, <laughs> and it's like it makes me like cringe a little bit because I'm just like, wow, that's just like her. I bet she's just, and everything about her is like, and I'm imagining that this woman is like this aged woman who didn't like me very much is like on the border patrol. And she's like, I'm going to take Jeff's meat, <laughs> you know. So. But there was similar boxes sent and. And, um, and they got through. Am I right? You didn't get anything, Morocco. And you, your your box didn't. Have yeah, any mine. Green tape on it. Mine arrived. I mean, it's no green tape, no no notes on the outside or anything. It it showed up. And I think and everything from what I saw on tracking, everything went through Newark. So everything went through the same place. So they they just have you on a list. They have if wow. you see Jeff Fader, <laughs> if you see I mean, anything go might, to this guy, screw it. I mean, it might have been. I mean, I rarely get. I rarely. I was Marek and I were talking about this beforehand because I rarely get. I have. There's a winemaker that I do business with uh, who I make knives for, and sometimes he sends me wood from FedEx, and FedEx sees the the his winery's you know return label, and then it immediately goes to the shipping center. So instead of it being delivered, it. Ha- it well, I'll be. I'll get a sign that says, "You have to." Uh, someone from 21 years of age has to sign for this because they just assume that it's wine. So I usually have to end up driving an hour away just to get the product. So, it's these yeah, in in future, crazy. if I'm sending a box, I'm not going to send it with a giant pig on the side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for this. It's a, it was a, definitely a great treat. Yeah, we're always talking about and, and the cheese, and I just thought it'd be nice for you to try them. So I'm glad. I'm glad they got through at least. You well, got to send was... the salami wrapped up with like a round of cheese all in one. So it looks like a giant. <laughs> you can smuggle it. How about I, I could, I could hollow out a cheese and put the salami into the cheese. <laughs> but, I mean, but I mean, you know, it seems as though if it, if it was like wrapped in paper, they wouldn't have even looked because it I'm actually, like they I'm amazed. Even... I'm amazed that, that anything got through. I thought that you just have a very large piece of paper with a list of everything inside of it because I, I was putting <laughs> things together on Monday and I was wonderfully last minute.com. 
and I, I kind of was dividing this up and making selections for everybody. So like the, um, I kind of put my other favorite cheeses, the, the my other favorite cheese makers around here, that the, the Coulet and and um, some Coulini Brie, and you know, there's Parmesan from our friends in Italy, and there's a few different bits and pieces put together. But I, I, I could give tasting notes and all that kind of stuff. But screw that! I just kind of literally, almost like kind of in writing that looked like it was my bad hand, <laughs> sort of wrapped it up in brown paper and chucked them in. But um. Well, thank you so much because we're actually yeah, – my wife you. and I have had a kind of a rough week. So we're actually – she's going to work tomorrow. We're both going to work tomorrow, Saturday. Have you, did you try anything yet? No, I, I went to – came back. I, I just put everything in the refrigerator. I haven't had a chance. So what I'm going to do – we're going to do – I'm going to get – after this, I'm going to get a couple bottles of wine and we're going to do a little tasting tomorrow night. We're very excited about it. My wife is thrilled. It's just, just wait, right at the right time. Hey, fantastic. So Great stuff. Nice. So – what do you guys want to do? We could do, uh, you want to go into business. We have, uh, let's see, we got questions. We have tough scenarios. We have uh, most bizarre customer requests. Now that makes me that makes me think, before we get into that, let's just talk about, speaking of bizarre, uh, you know what, let's not do it. Let's not, I'm not going to set up a commercial with bizarre. Let's just go into, have you ever had any bizarre customer requests, Fingal? <laughs> I've been, I've been the, 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 you actually know about the bizarrest knife I've ever made oh dude I do you remember dude, I that? forgot about that it, this is the knife that I made for a close friend in, in the UK and I sent it over and it was sort of um, it was a bit of a joke because <laughs> he's always been obsessed with penises so I actually got a dildo and on a knife I literally got the knife that had part of a tang and I stuck it into the dildo. It was actually a two-sided dildo that I had to cut oh, in Jesus half because <laughs> it was the perfect. <laughs> that was that made it the perfect size. And then you realize, of course, nothing nothing can glue to to silicone. So I mean, like none of this was forethought. But you know, no glue it will actually work with silicone. So I kind of had a lot of insulation tape wrapped around the tang. I said, "Well, that looks like shit." So I was sort of like, "What are we going to do?" So I had this wobbly cock on the end of the tang. <laughs> And I was like, with the insulation tape, black insulation tape. And I kind of thought, do you know what? I know, I could get a piece of leather and I punched some holes and I did the whole thing and I, I made it look a little bit bondagey, right? So I had this kind of like laced up leathery kind of like <laughs> bit of thing covering up the insulation tape. And I sent it over to him and he loved it. He fell in love with it. And the first thing he did was put a huge post up on, and he's quite a famous chef. So he put a big post up on, on Instagram. And I'm in the middle of this uh, food festival in the, uh, <laughs> I was up in Dublin called the Big Grill. Shout out to everybody there. It's, it's one of the most amazing food festivals. So we're hanging out with, uh, you know, Billy Durney and all these amazing guys. A lot of guys actually travel over from the States for this. And so I get my phone starts hopping. And that's my wife, who wasn't too happy about the whole occasion. Oh, because, I mean, now the thing is, is that in some ways she gets a joke like everybody else. But she kind of thought this might come across a little bit crass. Now, person to person, friend to friend, this was the best idea ever. But it's kind of different when it got put on Instagram. So <laughs> and let's just say very mildly, 10 minutes later, I'm like, here, Lee, Lee. Would you ever take that down off of the old internet there, would you, lad? <laughs> and now he's to keep it in a special drawer. Back in, he, 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 apparently he hasn't destroyed it yet. But uh, yeah, I'm very nervous about this. It's kind of loitering. I, I never put my logo on it, but it's out there. And um, I think she, the main argument was I'm kind of making knives for these these amazing chefs, like there's big name guys that have it. And I don't know if it ever, you know, if you were to associate something like that. But then again, when you're there, and you're with a bunch of lads drinking beers and at one o'clock in the morning you pull out that and present it as a present to another friend. It was the funniest fucking thing in the world. And I'm still I'm still proud of it to this day, but in the wrong context I'd be afraid of, of, of that. So I have to admit, I think there is something 
there's something fun about going there. And do you know what? It was the most ergonomic, comfortable handle I've ever made. <laughs> Good squeeze, huh? <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. The business end. Yeah. And you and you still you haven't Morocco any any weird requests that you can think of that you hadn't had before? No, nothing too crazy. Mm. I mean, outside of that weird this sword with all the skulls and all the just a bunch of stuff I just didn't do. So nothing crazy. I try to think about some. I know that there. I know we have a list of requests like on online that we've gotten gotten into the website, but like I can't. I don't have any offhand. There's. It's always like, can you make? Oh, one one person would have said, I need you to watch this particular TV show, uh, episode seven at four minutes and something seconds, and that's the knife I want you to make. It's like I got to do all this work to say no. It's like, just like we, that that happens a lot. Like in this video, they're at episode season, so that's totally crazy. But we did it for the last time this week uh, for uh, the life knife talk uh, listeners. What's the most bizarre custom request you've been given? Jeremy Balbo says somebody wanted a Bowie knife with a butt with a gut with a butt hook. <laughs> I meant to say a gut hook with a gut hook, not a butt hook. So a Bowie knife with a gut hook, but a butt hook would be pretty funny too. So somebody put that put that in work. Um, Brian Rakeen, I think you guys know Brian. He said one day a guy asked me to make a knife, and I never stopped making knives. So that's his weird request. He's now one of the best knife makers in France. Um, Web Blades here said he says here's a strange customer uh, uh, request, and here I quote: I'm looking for a late 14th to 15th century style dagger with approximately a 12 inch blade, single edge with a tip suitable for stabbing, a general self defense bushcraft survival blade, thematically something that could be fitting for a middle status merchant who travels often, ideally with a matching buy knife set of eating and fine tool knife and a pricker. <laughs> I could imagine a pricker. I can only imagine suffering through repeated interactions with this gentleman to have him reply when it was finished that in uh, with such noise as oh, it doesn't look like uh, it doesn't look like I travel that often. I don't know what that really means. I, I, I don't have time for and then he goes, I didn't have time for it, so I had him slip into Jeff's DMs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Andrew Lichtenstein says, some people know blacksmithing is a hobby of mine, not a serious request, uh, but everyone seems to want a sword as soon as I tell them. Yeah, I'll go forge out Excalibur real quick. <laughs> that is definitely something. Two more. Uh, Rogers Custom said, somebody wanted their ashes forged into the layers of Damascus, and I declined. Would would that do anything, Their own Mareko? ashes? Would, would Mareko, would, can you, if you put ashes in between layers, would that do anything? You just gotta um, sprinkle it like salt bay over the top, and and it's all—it's not gonna stick. For fuck's sake! <laughs> just, just just do salt bay on it, and and, and would it, go nuts. Would it, would it screw up the? Would it screw up the the forge world? No, no, it wouldn't really do anything, honestly, and, and it wouldn't even really be in the material. The best way um, for anybody to incorporate part of Body themselves. Parts. <laughs> would be uh, to add bone, maybe to like a, a wood smelt, um, because the carbon, the the small amount of carbon that is in that bone would contribute to the steel in a very very minuscule way. Otherwise, the rest of it is just minerals and stuff that would just burn off. Friend of mine um, makes um, charcoal out of out of bones. Interesting. Yeah, it, it fucking stinks. 
it's I the most foul that. thing. Like making it is a horrible smell. But like, there's so many things. Um, I mean, it's all about carbon, right? So there's how many, how many yeah. things have carbon. So if the process of making it, but um, yeah. but yeah, it, that would be an interesting. That's interesting. I've never interesting. heard of bone, bone charcoal. Yeah. So um, the, and the only other way I could think, which I think we've talked about before, is mixing uh, ash with uh, like a resin and making a spacer handle material out of it. To incorporate into the handle end of things but into the actual blade is really uh actually difficult to do so the the bottom line is if you got a hard bone you can put it in the woots so get yourself that hard <laughs> bone woots all right the last one is anonymous anonymous he says not that weird but a customer uh asked me for a pole axe uh, but they'd hang it themselves. Here's the kicker. They only had $400 to spend on a fucking pole axe. You know what a pole axe is? I had to look that up. It's like what like the beef eaters have. Like, you yeah. know, it's like one of those. It's for jousting, I think. Beef eaters so. is gin, right? I think so. Another gin. It's the UK. But, uh, okay. but the axe like a, bit a, I don't get. Yeah, it's pretty tall. It's like at least six, maybe seven, or even eight feet tall. Oh, the, you're talking uh, about the like the guards and and yeah, looking. Okay, yeah, yeah, have you now? Yeah. Well, if you were to uh, hand sand a poleaxe, I would suggest you use a in Dasi USA from Rhinoet. Oh, yeah. Rhinoet makes the best sandpaper for your poleaxe or whatever. <laughs> and if you go if you go to TexasFerrySupply.com, you put in promo code Knife Talk Ten, you can get all the Indasi USA Rhinoet you can afford and get it and get it and it's the best stuff. I just ordered. Some 400 grit. I No, 800 grit. I bought a pile of 800 grit. I was running out. I, I love the 800 grit, 400 grit, 220. Go to Texas Ferry Supply. Get that in Dossie, USA, Rhino Wet. It's the best. If you're going to sand with paper, <laughs> okay. might as well use Rhino Wet. <laughs> I was worried you were going to drop the new slogan. I'm glad you got it in there. Is that what it is? If you're going to sand with paper, you might as well use Rhino Wet. So <laughs> go get yourself that Rhino Wet discount code, uh, Knife Talk 10 for 10% off. That's a ticket. There you go. Well, guys, we can add, we can go for questions, or if you want to off-road it, or what do you guys want to do? We take a couple questions? Yeah, go from the top of the questions. list, buddy. All right. Fingal Ferguson says, T- go from the top of the list. I'm with you. All right. So uh, the first one comes from Matt L. Matt L. says, I've been thinking about the question, is knife making an art form? And I think that knife making is more of a niche trade, if that makes sense. It combines metal and woodwork and even leatherwork. Uh, should one make sheaths as well? Further, it takes a certain level of skill to make a knife, pushing it beyond a trade, uh, like welding or carpentry, into what is said is a craft. Craftsmanship implies a higher level of skill on par with the skill of an artist, such as those who strive to perfect or, or push the boundaries, bringing flair to the handles and sculpture and color or embellishments to the profile anyways. I love the show, and while I'm working alone in my shop or at home or in a crawl space at work, Y'all make my day more enjoyable, and Jeff, you freaking rock. You crack me up. <laughs> uh, keep on doing your thing, dude. It makes a difference. So, do you guys think? I, I think, think I think I that th- this art this art thing that keeps coming up. Do you know? I think it's a great idea until until you actually call yourself an artist, and then it just feels a little bit wanky. I mean, totally. It, <laughs> you know, uh, that's you know, it's okay until you bl- try and blow your own horn because you're just begging to be analyzed and 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 checked out there. I, I I love being called one by somebody else, and and somebody saying that like, oh no no no, not at all. But yeah, I think I think it's wrong to call yourself one. Yeah, what do you think, I Marco? I agree. I mean, I'm always flattered when somebody refers to my my work as art, but I. 
I don't think I've ever called myself an artist. Maybe, maybe once like a long time ago when I used to not do knife making, I did a lot more illustration and drawings stuff. But anyways, um, yeah, I think, I don't know. I like the more stuff I see out there that is called art. Um, that looks like absolute, sorry, bullshit to me. Um, I'm just like, I, I don't want to, I, I have less and less desire to be, um, kind of lines or like equated with that in a way, you know? And I, and I do like it, I, I do see the work as a craft and as a practice. I think at there, a there are so point, many similarities, aren't there? When, when you, there, when you do break it on the list of yeah. time, workload, sculpture, all these kind of elements, tick the box, the presentation, the, the, the forethought of the overall, I mean, Jeff's made this great point about the journey of the, of the person himself and the beginning point sure. and, and the goal. There's so many things, but yeah, just don't call it, don't call yourself one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's where I stand. It's definitely an art, you know, we, we say art form. And I think it is an art form to a certain degree. I don't think, but it's not, you know, when I look at art, I, I, it, the hardest part about all of it is pigeonholing yourself in regards to what things are. What is, you know, we live in this, you know, society where we're, for some reason we think everything's black and white when everything is gray. And we try to pigeonhole these words and, say, and then, like, what are the boundaries between them all? I, I have to, like, the older I get, you know, when I was younger... I was much more like, much more, it is, whatever it is, it's fine with me. You say whatever the hell you want. And then as the, as the older I got, the more kind of conservative I've, I've become. And the funny thing is, is like, it's, to me, it's like, it's not really sculpture unless you say it's sculpture. You know, like, I think that there's a lot of, you know, if you say that I'm making sculpture, okay, that's a, now all of a sudden now we have a conversation to have. Yeah, but then there's the I contradiction, think, isn't it? Because in the end, we want to say that we're making a tool and something is going to be used and you wouldn't do that with art. I mean, that's the, that's the issue. I mean, the issue is, is it's the intention. I think it becomes very interesting. I think that number one, I've always felt like art needs to be, you have to, I, the artist really needs to be able to dis express themselves in regards to the direction and all that stuff. Is it art? Some of it is definitely art, artistic. Some of it has artistry. Some of it is like, there's beauty, beauty to it. There are things that are being done that are just like mind blowing. And you could definitely, I could definitely see one of Morocco's knives and say that is art. I could see the Damascus patterns or even, you know, or Salem Straub or Nick Angers. You you can look at this stuff and there is something that's just like more than just a craft. Hmm. There is a little bit more passion. There's more involvement. There's a there's a detail in it or something in it that you just like, I know it when I see it. And I understand that. And I believe that to a certain degree there are these weird little borders we were having a hard time crossing whether or not are they sculptors are they knife makers are they wanted what do they want the interesting thing is is talking to people on full blast i i've i've really noticed that there's more of this this talking to knife makers especially there seems to be more of this interest of finding connection with other knife makers and finding connection within the standards of what a knife is and, and being recognized in regards to your, you're having, you're, you're showing likeness in a community. And then that makes me think that it's not art because it's like, you're looking for acceptance in a community of standards and you know, you, no one's in the, uh, I just paint apples world. You know, it's just like, <laughs> so, you know, there's no apple painting, apple painting community. So like, you don't have this set of standards like you do with knife making. So 
I don't know. I, I'm 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 going back and forth over the years. Uh, the older I get, maybe I'm going to be a little bit more fruity and just say, "Yeah, sure, it's art. Why the fuck not?" <laughs> How totally would you feel is. about the phrase "artfully crafted"? I feel like I've heard I think, that. Before. I think it's fine. I think that I think that once you start to go into this is sculpture, uh, that's when we have we have to have a conversation. But like, I, it's interesting because but you know what that that work- cries out to me that that knife isn't going to handle very well. <laughs> maybe well there are sculptors who make there are sculptors who make like there's this famous sculptor his name's Armand and he used to make these giant sculptures of like axes or mm. or chef knives swimming like fish and it was clearly you know he wasn't a knife artist but it was like these were knives were art now i could i think that i could take if i if i came if i said to you guys i'm going to make 60 of the exact same knives and hang them on the wall in this particular pattern mm. That would be sculpture. Yeah, yeah, totally. That would be sculpture. And 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 then all of a sudden even if they were just, you know, whatever. I think I think that uh most people I think that Tomer could do that. Tomer could mm-hmm. make a, a, a completely someone go up to Tomer and say, "Listen, I want a Florentine kitchen knives art installation." He just grabs 100 knives and he installs them in a specific matter and says, "This is an art installation." I'm not going to have a problem with that. I'd buy tickets for that. Yeah. So it, there, these, actually, there are these weird little the things that these weird borders that are like they're they're tough for people to see you know i had a fun project that was actually lined up before covid and i was actually to to go and do a show i paired off with a number of other artists to actually put together an exhibition where we were going to each knife was going to have and not to call it art but actually they it was kind of the venue was an art gallery but it was actually to do a showcase and they're all for good causes and to do different things but there was an element of fun being brought in by the artists i was collaborating with to incorporate um a theme or a, a project but they were all workable very practical knives in the end but the, the the use of materials and different things so i've still yet it's still on my bucket list to do it um but that's not calling it art. It's actually just using the venue and the process of thought to actually big up, you know, handmade knives and to do the collaboration with other artists. Because funnily enough, what we can do with handle materials is so different nowadays. I mean, you can include electronics. You can work with the most amazing, you know, kind of wire erosion cutters to, to incorporate the most fascinating patterns and things or, you know, work with pigments and processes to just be incredibly creative um but at the very end still have i mean if you look at the knife on its own it might not stand out but when you see when you stand back and and put each knife together in 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 a room with the theme and have the i suppose the the support of art friends to actually make the thing into an event and an occasion that was that's a a goal of mine so I'm, i'm hoping i will do that at some point i think it's i think you should and i think it'd be great i also remember and I don't know if Mareko probably remembers this guy too. There was a there was a guy who had a gallery in New York City, and he was doing an art show of oh, knife right. makers. Yeah, I don't remember his name. He's a good guy, but I know that Greg Sims had work down there, and I know that uh, Chelsea Miller had something in there, and yeah. then a few other knife makers. I think Nick Rossi was in there one time, and Nick Anger and stuff like that. And yeah. I remember even going down there it was the first time I met uh, Aldo Bruno and mm. Pete Bruno, and and we you know it was. It was knives that were hung and and curated like art, like sculpture, and it looked very much like you'd if you went to like the Natural History Museum or something like that, and you went to the Arms and Armory section. So it was very. They were they were on. I think these like he made some, you know, magnets with that. You know, so it looked like they were floating and they were lit in a certain way, and they looked like sculpture. And they're hanging on the wall. They looked like sculpture, 
And I remember Aldo said, Aldo's looking around, and he's, he says, uh, all this steel here is from, from me. I, this is yeah. all my steel. It was really kind of a neat experience. But he did create the concept of these curated, these knives curated. And they were beautiful, and they were amazing. But they were for sure curated like sculpture. So that's the one time I've ever really kind of thought maybe, you know, like once again, it's, it's borders, do we cross or not? Right. Do you want to take the next one, Rico? Yes, sir. Or? Yeah. Sorry. I... Holy shit. My phone stopped working. Uh, no, I, can... I don't. <laughs> okay. Ross. <laughs> all right. No problem. I don't know no what problem. happened. <laughs> don't worry. We got this, guys. We got no problem. We got it all. So Ross speaks Steelworks. Okay. Says, I got hey, it guys. back. I got it back. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> Ross speaks. Yeah, give him hell. All right, Ross. Here's a question. He says, hey, guys, really enjoying the recent episode. Uh, I was really intrigued when you were talking about knife profiles and how the shape of the edge is hugely important for culinary knife perform performance. Uh, it got me thinking about handles. Are there certain handle styles that work best for certain functions? Uh, and what makes a handle ergonomic and good? Good question right there. I have, I have this sort of personal feeling because I know everybody's different. But... My sort of attitude towards weight and balance and ergonomics of handles, um, I feel that there is an important thing, no matter how you hold the knife, if you hold it in your common position, that if you were to slightly open your hand, it doesn't fall out of your, your hand. That's something that kind of is a preference. Now, that, that is difficult, of course, if it's a huge bladed knife. But in general, I feel like you're very much uh, you know, aiming for that element of sort of weight and balance. And then towards ergonomics, the Rory Connor, the, you know, our local amazing and original knife maker, he... He sort of has this great principle that in the dark, you should be able to pick up a knife and know which way is up. And I mm. think that's a, that's a fantastic kind of way of oh, looking yeah. at one element of it. Um, and then that leads on to comfort, you know, um, and that's the ergonomics. I mean, the design I have, you know, stemmed entirely from that principle of, of sort of ergonomics. And um, I saw the folks in the, you know, pinch grip or the, the first three fingers that are the kind of, the, I feel, are the more important ones. Um, but like you shouldn't get blisters. You should, I mean, it should be large enough that it doesn't feel like it's lost in your handle and you're going to lose your grip and it shouldn't be too big that, you know, and that yet still beautiful to the eye. So all of these factors can be completely thrown off one way or another by millimeters and by even the, the, the angle that you're looking at it. So visually <laughs> one knife you can find beautiful one minute, you know, can change in your mind um, over time. Um, the co-couture of knives, you know, how, how mm -hmm. attitudes change. But all of these things lead up to it being a practical tool. What do you think, Mareko? Yeah, I, I agree that f function should be the first thing that is taken into consideration for the knives. And honestly, if you think about, like, obviously the blade and what the blade looks like and how it cuts is also all very important, but it doesn't really matter much if you're not very interested in holding that knife. So while the blade is kind of the business end of things, the handle is where the relationship with that tool exists. And it's important to me that it's ergonomical. It's very, like, my handles are very highly contoured. And now it's not necessary to get really highly contoured um, to get a comfortable grip. But it is important for that grip to be comfortable, uh, especially if, you know, if you're selling work to somebody who might maybe works in a kitchen um, and they're going to be holding on to that knife and using it for several hours at a time. Um, those are things to definitely take into consideration. But overall profile, it can be almost anything, right, really, um, or it can be all over the board. I mean, I think the three of us, even just the three of us do very different handle styles. Mm. Um, and I think 
but they all work. And I think it's because we've taken that idea of function coming before form. Now, obviously, when it comes to the, the kind of knives that we're building, we want the knives to look attractive and everything, and we want them to be aesthetically pleasing. But again, I think the form coming before function or uh, a function coming before form is key. And I, I think, you know, some of the points that Fingal made, actually all the points Fingal made were all very good, especially <laughs> the, uh, especially, you know, knowing if you grab the knife in the dark, you know, which way is the pointy end, you know, um, I think, I think all of that kind of plays into it. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. That's what I got. It's it's interesting because my opi- my opinion has changed completely as I started making knives. Because in the beginning, I was like basing them off of knives that I was using in culinary school, which were very heavy and sure. nothing to write home about handles. Like because the cooking that I do, I'm in the pinch position all the time. I'm I'm rarely using that kind of like the normal how you'd ha- hold a knife handle. Like it's always pinch position to me. Yeah. So like I always thought like who gives a shit. You know, so my handles in the beginning were like very big and, you know, very big and just it was easier to hold. In my mind, I thought, who cares? Because you're in the pinch position anyway. And then a little weight, a little bit more weight in the back is better anyway. So I might as well make them big. Hmm. And then I, I made a huge change when I had this crazy woman came to my shop and she says, I'm coming down here because I want a knife, but I got small hands. And I want to see what you're doing because I need you to see how small my hands are. And it was like this whole big thing. I was like, please don't come to my shop. I don't want you to come to my shop. I don't care how small your hands are. She came down and she comes out the door with her hands out. She said, look how small they are. Look how small they are. And I was like, yeah, they're perfectly, they're normal hands. And I was just like, and she's like, well, I need, a, I need you to make your handle smaller. So I made her knife and I made it, the handle much smaller. And I thought to myself, this is a really comfortable handle. And then I, I based all my handles off that one knife that was like with the smaller handed woman. It just felt better in my hands. My bigger hands, it felt bigger. But your pinch grip, right? Because I had the same issue pinch myself. Grip. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a pinch grip man. And then uh, somebody came along and just gave out to me one day that, that my knives were, you know, that it was a bit small in his hand. And that yo-yo is, is frustrating, you know. like it, it, Once in a while, I'll get a guy who say, I need a, I need a more of a robust handle, which is fine. 
But like my standard, it's gotten a little bit bigger since that small woman's hands. And it wasn't, her hands weren't even that goddamn small. So, but I mean, at the same time, I've now, I like the handle that I've made. And I go back and forth. And it's interesting too, because when I do the uh, hidden tang knives, I started to base the hidden tang knives off of the way I liked my hammer handles. I liked, in the beginning stages, I loved the octagon handles. Like, I loved making octagon handles for my hammers. And then I just started making octagon handles for the knives. And now my handles of my hammers are a little bit more ovular. I'm starting to kind of, like, cut back those uh, those those facets and make them a little bit more rounded. And I think that's probably gonna what's going to happen with me. I don't do as many... Uh, you know, hidden tang knives, but I, I like I like the idea of the keeping them. They're very simple and octagon. But I'm starting to kind of like loosen up on the on the tight corners and trying to. I'm starting to kind of like uh, evolve a little bit. But sure. it's interesting. It's there are so many different ways to hold a knife, and there and there's so many per, you know personal preferences. Yeah. Did I tell you the I story was, that the, the oh, knife oh. I kind of made one a long time ago that had a, a step and a ledge for each finger. It was like the first knife um, variation I kind of did, but the the stepped handle that I kind of do now. And a good friend told me, like, listen, everybody's hand's different. That's just not going to work. And and mm-hmm. you have to absolutely think about how to, to, to cater for, for everybody. Um, I suppose you don't have to. You, if you are going to personalize and individually make them for people. If or, or, or But, yeah, it is it is nice when you hit the, the sweet spot of, of sort of um, left-handed, right-handed, you know, the, so ambidextrous and can kind of maintain balance but yet have something that everybody can grab in the dark the right way around and find comfortable but that's your style your style of that you have that one step in the middle of the handle Mm. that like nobody else does and it's my little pinky anchor I love it. I mean, I have one, and I love, I love that you do it. And, it, and it, all, I, all I can think of is, I wonder how much harder it is to to, to finish sanding those handles. Are do you know? I I, I use those um those deburring wheels um, with a little bit of rouge. There's a softer one, and I put a little rouge on it, and it cleans up um, everything until the last minute. They just do a little little um, rhino wet kiss, and then a buff. It literally, is the quickest thing in the world when you have the the knacks, those those. Um, uh, deburring wheels by 3M and Norton they all have them there's different grades like the 7SF or the 9F, 9SF is the other one for, for perhaps I'd use for, for like on blades and the 7SF is the one I'd use on handles and uh, I tend to use that I suppose you, that wheel more than most things in the workshop now when you're shaping your handles are you usually using the slack belt the most or um, how are you shaping I them? do everything with the round wheel and then um, oh really I use kind of a I think it's a 6 inch or 8 inch kind of wheel and sort of spent 36 grit wheels and I do a rough shape of the wheel get the balance and the symmetry and everything kind of right and then I'll come at it with a 120 um, uh, so, uh, F flex what J flex um, belt on a um, on the slack wheel or not slack wheel what's it called the, the, the with the rubber you know the rubberized kind of soft um what's that thing what does you know it's like a belt within a belt <laughs> oh, you know, the, rotor, the rotary rotary plan? yeah the rotary platen. thank yeah. you thank you yeah. so rotary platen, and then um that'll kind of take it down to the 120 and then i'll go over to the um to the deburring wheel and then sort out bolsters clean up the nooks and crannies and then go 400 grit with the um with a uh with the j flex um, get rid of all the scratch marks with that, then back over to um, sort of buffing wheels and and sort of find out where the scratches are still hanging out. And uh, I've fallen in love with. Do you know the um, the Scotch Bright belts? You know, there's a soft uh, yeah, there's course. a soft belt. Do you know there's a soft cloth one? There's you. 
No, I don't know about the soft cloth. I so know you, the there's different, there's different, work. there's different grades of of Scotch Brite. So you have like a coarse, a medium, a fine. I think they're different colors depending on which brand you you kind of go right. with. And I think everybody tends to use the super fine Scotch Brite belt as a sort of the finished one. Well, I do anyway for the for the belts for the blades. But um, there's a soft, there's a the non scratchy, non Scotch Brite. It's just basically this. It looks the same, but it's like felty, f- fluffy cloth. And I've been putting rouge on that, and I've actually been using that as uh, of late as part of my playing around to um, mm. sort of give a consistent finish to the handle because you can put rouge on that one. So right. it's it's kind of like using again back to the back to the belts to kind of do a lot of the buffing kind of work for you. And um, yeah, the the grit and the rouge kind of helps to speed up the process. But yeah, I'll. Um, I think yeah, I kind of find myself now do, using a, the tiniest. I mean, every knife will probably get five to ten minutes worth of hand sanding in it just prior to the last kind of very soft um, wheel buffing that polishes everything up. I love your videos when on your Instagram because you always have the dynamite music, and then <laughs> you, you have the best music in knife making. You're, good. It's always good, and I always love seeing the high polished knives and. All using the using those the crazy scales, the crazy handle scales, mm. and all the stuff you do. It's like I really enjoy every. I enjoy everything about you, Fingal. Oh, thanks, love. Uh, no, the music was always a fun thing. I always kind of, I I don't know. I kind of grew up with music in my life. Music was something that I kind of my family had, friends had, boarding school, whatever it was. There was this connection that everybody had with music, and almost that originality of music as well. So you kind of you kind of had it as an anchor of like, oh, when I was a kid, it was you know Chili Peppers and Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin, and but you know then you go through your your different phases. But at the same time, that that classical music you heard subliminally as a child, the jazz, the blues, and it all becomes a melting pot until you find yourself actually with spotify or whatever else having these shuffle lists that keep surprising you until eventually you kind of get yourself in a happy place where this music is always you know at your fingertips and it becomes game on you know what am i going to to dance to today what am i going to kind of like use to inspire me and to to drive on and there is fun i don't put the music to the knife particularly to as a sort of um there's any connection between the two but I do sometimes choose a song to, you know, as I'm, I, I, I kind of feel it's going to expire the theme in my mind or what I'm feeling at that time while I'm kind of showing the world my knives on Instagram. There you go. Do you have a Spotify playlist that I can listen to in my own shop? I think I sent it to you. I have. I have. I think it's Did a thing. I think it's called a thing thing, and it, I haven't thing put anything thing. on it for ages. But um, I'm just taking out my phone now. I made one a long time ago. And I haven't done anything to it yet because I literally have these daily mixtapes that kind of keep popping up automatically. But um, yeah, I think so there is one. Can anyone listen to that? Can anyone? I think, listen I think to if that? you go to playlists and you put in, um, I'm just gonna try and find it. Yeah, um, it's a it's a thing thing. I T apostrophe S F I N G thing. It's a thing thing. Is a playlist on Spotify. Jeez, you made it. How hard are you gonna make it for people to find this thing? Was it's, that my intention? I guess. So it's it's I T S. Oh, is it possibly the right thing? Yeah, it's it's a thing thing. I think if you just put thing it's thing, it's a thing. F I N G T H I N G. Yeah, my sister always called me thing, so I was yeah. I don't listen to a lot of music. Actually, we, uh, once in a while, we'll listen to a little classic rock just because it makes me feel like we're well, back in Your the podcast, shop. you know, the knife talk is just so bloody short. You know, you have to find listen to something afterwards. Well, I mean, you can't... You can't uh, listen, if we could do this five days a week, like a real radio show, 
I'd really consider it. Be honest with you. If I had, we had like producers and stuff like that, I would totally do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you listen to music when you're working, Morocco? Um, it depends on the day. Often I'm listening to podcasts or audiobooks, but sometimes I get burned out from the books. Um, and it's there's probably... different concentration needed for audiobooks, isn't there? Because yeah, yeah. 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 For sure. And, and I think that actually really does play a role in it. If, if I'm too uh, distracted by what I'm listening to, then I will put on music. Or, if, or like I said, if I'm too burned out because I've been listening to audiobooks for like three or four weeks straight, then you know I'll, I'll get a few days of music in me and then I'll probably go right back to the audiobooks, honestly. Um, but yeah, I usually, I think one of my favorites is like, um, I've been listening to a lot of the, the Black Keys lately. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love um, Tribe Called Quest. Oh, yeah. It's always a good station. Um, I've been listening to, uh, sometimes I turn on like Glenn Miller, like some old swing jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. And uh, what is it? Oh, uh, um, I'm your pusher man is a good yes. is a song. Curtis, yeah. Mayfield. Curtis Mayfield. Yeah, yeah, it's a great song to use as an anchor for a station because uh, there's a lot of great music that comes from that. Do you know what's been blowing me away lately? I've been really getting into it. Is that sort of um, is it is it folk? It's there's a, a friend in Hungary sent me over a list. We're having an argument that old old crow medicine show and Devil Makes Three and all this kind of amazing. Uh, what mm-hmm. class? What would you put that? I mean, it's not really. Is it kind of? Con- it, I don't know what you would call that, but I do. I love old crow. I, I yeah. Like- I learned a few of their songs. And I was kind of saying like country music or American kind of country music. Like there's only a couple of bands I can really listen to and I don't like it. And he said, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to shut you up. I'm going to make you a playlist. And he made a playlist called Moonshine. And oh, nice. there is just, it is something I get more and more into. And it's opened up again, my playlist to sort of in, into that kind of American, that kind of type of music. And I'm always amazed about how sure. much of it involves drugs and, and bad behavior. You know, sure, my sure. opinion about country music was always kind of like Irish country music, which is, is almost kind of line dancing, depressing, boring, slow stuff. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but, but like anything, when you go deep, there's, there's, there's something that will always blow you away and find it, you know, folk music. I mean, I'm sure as I get older, the stuff I literally could not stay in the same room as is going to be something that will float my boat. Sure. I hate to tell you this guys, but, Pod, listening to podcasts and books when you're working is not you're not as efficient it's unfortunately the case mm. like i i listen to howard stern monday through wednesday and if it's a good interview i'm not as fast as i would be if we're listening to music you know it's just, just not the way it is. It's, just, <laughs> it's just the case even podcasting like you when you're concentrating on listening you aren't as efficient as you could be. When it's I was just... when I was a teenager, <laughs> my dad, I went in to help make the cheese, and I, I talked him into putting some um, speakers into the in, into the dairy where we make the cheese. And uh, I said, "Can I put on some music?" And he said, "Yeah, sure." And I, I, I was kind of, literally I was sort of sixteen, seventeen. I put on Carl Cox, which was this sort of three decks you know full-on festival kind of rave music <laughs> and, and i think that the, the dad said well this is amazing everybody made the cheese twice as fast as it is like the music was so bad to them that they couldn't wait to get out of the place <laughs> he said oh, the wow. height of efficiency <laughs> <laughs> that, you, you can know, put that on anytime <laughs> i mean back in the day when they had those like ships when they had the guy hitting the drums and then the or- <laughs> oarsman would like row to the beat of the drums yeah or, or the re- building railroads or anything like it, that yeah there's <laughs> something to there's something to that like having like a real conversation it's like you definitely slow down yeah when i worked in kitchens um we would take turns picking music to listen to in the kitchen while we were cooking and stuff and um 
And one guy always put on like improvisational jazz and it would give me the most anxiety because you just got that like doing all this weird (laughs) shit. I'm just like, ah, like it it was frying my brain cells while I was trying to concentrate on the food I was cooking. It was too much for me. Do you remember some of the dishes you were cooking at at your station? I I just, I was all over. I was mostly like a pantry guy, which is like the salads and kind of little side dishes and shit like that. Um, and sometimes I would be on the fryer, but we just, I worked in a, in a pub, so it wasn't anything too complex. Um, the, the one cooking my kind of like my intro into the cooking job, but I've always worked mostly in like bars, um, a couple different bakeries. So it's never been anything too crazy. I like, I liked when I talk to cooks, I like to ask them if they remember certain dishes from certain stations that they were on. And there is this kind of, it's interesting because my business partner, Tony and I cooked together for a little bit. I mean, he was the sous chef and I was one of the peons and we were kind of on the full blast when I had him on, we were talking about this dish that was very particular at this station and he was kind of going into it, how they did it and how they prepared it and what went into it. It was a very famous dish that Charlie Palmer did. It was like this, uh, potato gofret salads, uh, potato fried potato with a scallop inside. And he would talk about like, mm. he talked about the station and what you had to do to keep the station ready. And for, there was something about it that I just thought there's some cooks just have like a, a memory of the stations that they were on and the restaurants they were at and what they like to do and what they would like to make. I, it's interesting. My favorite was actually getting to the kitchen early and getting the station set up and reorganized for the way I like to do things. But always cooking on the line always gave me so much anxiety. Like, I fucking hate it. I can't it. imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine. I I saw my friends were on the line, and it was like, I was terrified. I was terrified of the, the idea of, like, getting behind or being in the weeds. or Oh, yeah. But that, well, that's get, probably that, in the that, beginning, that... isn't it? I think it's it's the experience afterwards of um, when you pull that off, the adrenaline rush of getting into the flow. And, you know, the flow state, as you were talking about you know, earlier on. Yeah. You know, and, and, and riding that and... And I suppose, like anything, it is a station that you're doing, you're getting into a pattern, a routine. I, it, the daunting element is going into it for the first time. But when you get that, that sweet flow and the roll and the camaraderie of everybody in synchronization, then you, you're just chasing that. There's, there's, I think there's more performative, uh, there's a more performative aspect to cooking professionally in the middle of service with like really well-trained cooks that know what they're doing. There, there's more performative art quality to that than a lot of other things because it is so like it's so it's not spontaneous but it's like it's like uh when you do uh like calligraphy there's no sitting around and kind of it's so direct like you know exactly what you have to do it's like blacksmithing you hit that you you know hit the steel or you there's not a lot of fooling around and measuring and you're just like it's much more performative there's a performative aspect to that and actually it reminds me is that there are there is there is definitely a connection between uh, blacksmiths and people who have been in kitchens before because I actually met a number of really high-trained uh, blacksmiths who went to culinary school and who cooked professionally. There was years and years ago, there was this blacksmith that I knew, uh, Pat Quinn knew too. He, he was the lead blacksmith at the, one of the best uh, blacksmith shops in, in New York. It was in New York City. It was called Koenig Ironworks. And it was a... Um, it was a they they did they erected steel structures for on construction sites and it was one of the only places that had a working 
a blacksmith shop and the lead blacksmith guy by the name of Tom Ryan. And he tried it before I went into blacksmithing when I was just a kid, he wanted to hire me and I was like, ah, I'm not going, to, I'm going to culinary school. And he says, I went to the call. I went to the Cordon Bleu. And he, he says a lot of blacksmiths were professional cooks. And there is this kind of connection between this, the techniques and, 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 and the, the, the performative aspect of cooking and drawn to hot surfaces. Stuff, yeah. <laughs> well, but I mean, it's very, it's very, you're not sitting around, you know, you know, we, to, we with the carpenters to measure a hundred times and cut once with forging and you're not doing that. But, you know, when you're in the act of forging or in the act of cooking, you don't have, it's a little bit more, the time is not on your side, you know, and you do have a degree of, 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 you know, there is a quality to it that's very, uh, bold you have to make bold decisions mm -hmm. and, and there's something about that that i've always loved yeah i always wondered what it would be like to work in a more professional kitchen because most of the restaurants and bakeries are, the bakeries were super low-key but the the pubs were always way overextending themselves by having like you know 50 or 60 items on a menu and a tiny ass little kitchen and like a bunch of fucking boneheads or drug addicts that were there like half drunk or stone trying to get the work done and i'm like i wonder what it would be i've always wondered what it would be like to work in a more professional place um especially nowadays where people are really taking it a lot more seriously and that where the uh, the size of the restaurant and the kitchen kind of are more in relationship to each other and makes mm -hmm. sense and do and fewer things and working around you mm -hmm. Exactly, yeah. Do fewer things, do them way better. The people working around you are reliable. You can trust that they know what the fuck they're doing so that you can really just focus on what you're doing. Um, I've never worked in that kind of environment, ever. I think you have a higher opinion of what the truth really is. <laughs> okay. because, it's, because I can tell you from personal experience that, like, cooks are the worst. I mean, they are legitimately the worst, even the high-level guys. Like, it, being in the restaurant business is the only place in the world where you can have a resume where you've worked at 15 different places for three months apiece and no one says a word. Like, why'd you quit? Or, oh, you work for this guy, you work for that guy. And then all, it doesn't matter because there's, there's cooks, cooks doesn't matter how high end they are. And now, you know, you see pictures of like, you know, uh, Daniel Balud and his guys and they're all wearing like pristine white co coats and they have the, right. you know, exposed kitchen and they're, all their saucepans are these tiny little copper pots and they're all using their gray coon spoons and they're all like, you know, they all look, everybody looks in place. That that's that's so few and far between how it actually is, you know. And now cooking has gotten far more real. And you know, I don't think it's as I don't think you'd. I think you'd, you just need to go to a better I, restaurant. Work is the is the birds. It's just the worst. It cooks are the worst. Chefs are the even worse. <laughs> and you know, God bless them all. You all suck, but God bless you. God bless you, and God bless Maritime Knife Supplies. If you're in Canada and you want to get yourself that, you want to be that one-stop shop for knife makers, steel, belts, handle materials, tools, forges, kilns, and more. There's a, they're also the, uh, Maritime Knife Supply is the Canadian distributor of combat abrasives. They have Rhinoet and Rhino Stick. So go to MaritimeKnifeSupply.com, and they're giving 10% off. So go get yourself that Maritime Knife Supply. I don't even think you have to be in Canada. You can be in the United States, yeah. and they're doing it for you, too. So go get, a, go get that Maritime Knife Supply, and tell them thank you for supporting Knife Talk. They're good dudes, and, and they're doing really great things, and we're with them. Did you say Rhino Stick? Rhino stick. As in, this is a thing. Is it like? Are they like those um, sort of it's mini like gridstones? It's like that thing you put on that. It's like that it's thing a, you put on the knife. 
It's a sticky roll. <laughs> it's like that thing you put on uh, the knife that you gave to your buddy, you know? You'll <laughs> <laughs> ride us. Ergonomic, ergonomic, yeah. Yeah, baby, give it a good squeeze. Okay, the next question comes from our friend Justin Stinson. Justin Stinson says, hey, guys, here's a question. What are some additional places that makers can get new people to see their work besides Instagram shows and magazines? Here's a follow-up question. What's the one thing you guys did that surprised you with the amount of attention you got? So is, is there anything, what can you do to get it, get out there without using uh, social media and shows, magazines? That seems like it's... Food, it's food fairs. Like, food fairs and events like that are, are kind of good yeah. because they're already food lovers. So I mean, I mean, look at Quentin Middleton. He's yeah. down in he's down in Char- uh, Charlotte Food and Wine Festival right now. Yeah. He's got a table full of knives, and I guarantee that thing's gonna be empty by the end of the show. Mm-hmm. Three days. Quentin does. Gone. Quentin does a great job of connecting with the culinary world. Yeah, absolutely. Like he's he's really like when he goes to these events, these culinary events. I know that he used to do. Uh, I think he used to do like have a table at some at at, at certain restaurants at certain uh, knife stores and stuff like that. He puts himself out there. Sure, he puts himself out there. That's actually a, f- a great idea is to get your get yourself call up uh you know like if you're a culinary guy call up a you know a culinary place and say hey let's do a, let's let me do a table and make a make a big show of it. Yeah, it, here idea. like in this side of the world, uh, Blenheim Forge in the UK, they oh, yeah. they were often at, at a lot of the, the the events and bringing their sort of knives to there. And I think that's that's a fantastic move. I mean, this is a great question, honestly, for you, Fingal, because, I mean, you're one of the few makers on Instagram that actually has a blue check mark. Um, (laughs) We talked about it before, obviously, but, you know, you've been in a lot of print magazines and you've, uh, I don't know if you've done any TV spots like Jeff has. There was was um, one on today, actually yesterday, but it, it, like, it helps. Yeah, like, those kind of things do definitely help. I I feel TV less so now than than before, and I feel the, the people who've seen you on TV are different to 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 customers in different ways i, I think like they're the people who maybe probably don't have the expectation of what a knife's going to cost you know like, they might ask you oh, what's a knife worth and you'll tell them and be like a bit more surprised <laughs> if, if that makes sense sure but yeah. um uh, there but like that might be not just a few cases i've kind of you're putting two two together with the emails that arrive in just after you've been on tv but i i think the um i, I yeah i, I suppose yeah, I forgot the question. <laughs> no, other ways in which to get out there. Yeah, to get out there. I think that, like, I've I've been at craft shows. I brought my knives to other things that I was doing anyway. I kind of, I I suppose from the very beginning, because it was always part-time, I never had them available. I was never full-time at knives. So I suppose there was always that issue where I wasn't actually trying to flog them at these events, but I had them there and I was using them or I had a couple of pieces that I've been working on that weren't maybe available and it was just part of my my kind of reaching out to people to find out what they thought because I, I was always surrounded by great chefs and that that's that feedback process that's really important and plugging you, you never know you know if i did actually go more full time at it and had them more available that you know getting them out there um you know planting that seed and that worked i mean but the problem was i suppose i found myself with a waiting list and and i've just been ch- chasing that for actually i'm kind of getting it down now at the tail end of this it was like 980 people back in 2018 on the waiting list when i when i closed that but i kept having babies and it was all part-time and i was only making three or so knives a week and some of those people would buy a couple of knives when their time came up on the list so i I think that i have the list down to about uh, list down to about 280 now so i'm actually looking forward to reinventing the wheel and my head is constantly spinning as to how to do that and i think i, I won't change from the process i won't I, I won't ever enter into the world of sort of like 
um, somebody's name comes up and I'll ask them what they want made for them. I think it's always going to be in that process of me actually making knives and batches and waves and just being as creative as possible, but as efficient as possible and, sure. and controlling that process entirely. And if, you know, and just putting it out there and how I put it out there is, is, is the bit I'd like to change. I mean, technology is definitely more helpful now. These, um, these processes like you have, um, I was interested, uh, talking to a, a fascinating guy who was creating um, a system that was to work for restaurants and it was to help with lists and, and, and waiting periods. So if you're uh, waiting for a high-end restaurant or your kids to go into a fancy school or to get into a golf course that has and so it's all this waiting process. And what it does is if you put yourself into this, this, this system, it keeps you um, updated as to where you are. So you log in rather than contacting mm-hmm. the person, you log in and with your original booking, it gives you all the information, just like watching tracking on a, on a parcel. <laughs> Jeff, there's the there's a process. Of you're, you're placed here. The estimation is this. All the information is up there. So you don't have to kind of sneak into the DMs. And I'm kind of interested by the kind of process. But again, it's the um, it, that's probably just part of the efficiency of, of a modern modern day where, where everybody kind of wants to, to know things and, and probably want things faster. But if they, they can't get it there then i suppose stop them getting into dms sure that makes me think of like i don't know if you guys have ever been to those restaurants where when they're when you're they're waiting for your you're waiting for your table they give you one of those little red discs oh, that buzzes then, as soon as they're <laughs> it buzzes and then i mean that's the concept of really could be could be the future concept 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 of what an nft is hmm. you know an nft is an is a is a unique digital object it doesn't have to people obsessed with it being art it could be a unique digital object and that could be something to track your you know how far your waiting is and there's going to be technology that's going to allow people to have like a, a real world understanding of where they are sure. well this um, this company had had the option that they were they were trying to put out there that you could actually sell your place so if you got down to this huge list and you were up there that you could actually sell on your spot you know, um, and it was down to whether that person wanted to, the money to go to charity or if there was or you could not allow any profit to be made, but still sell your spot. And if you run into hard times, but you had this 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 place, then at least you could take your deposit back or move on your deposit. It was very much designed for restaurants that weren't going to get stranded. You basically go through the process, you give your card, you pay your money, you're going through the whole thing so that the restaurant doesn't get left in the lurch because you're a no show. Right. And um, but that was part of the process of what they were looking at. And you can use that for good or bad. Like I said, you can you can sort of it's uh, you know, it wasn't like a ticket tout, but it was definitely a, a means to to make it a legitimate purchase sort of slash contract kind of entry. But at the same time, if you changed your mind, there was an out. No. I right before the pandemic, right before the pandemic, like a week before uh, Charlie Palmer asked me to come to one of his restaurants and we did a talk and we, I brought the not brought knives with me and we talked about knives and, and then we, he had kind of gotten a group of people together and we ended up doing this basically like we were telling stories and we were telling funny stories that happened when I was working for Charlie and then we were talking about knives and people asking questions. If I were a little bit more, if I had a little bit more time and I wanted to, I would totally team up with a with a restaurant in a local restaurant or a or a uh, a, pl- a you know a place and put on like a you know a little you know a afternoon out or a, or a night and talk mm. let's talk about knives or not just like let's let's you know like a drink and you know have a drink I'm, and I'm, talk I'm, about I'm, knives. I've done I, that I do loads that of times. I'm sure you, you must have done that. Surely you've done a lot of those things. And I did, they want to know about sharpening. 
I did it with Char- I did it with Charlie right before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I had the, I looked so good too. I had this like very um, very like uh, f- a flamboyant uh, pocket square. It was great. It, it, we had a good time. Were you we wearing really your leopard time. outfit? I was. I wish I was. <laughs> but the funny part was is it like we were talking about knives, and then Charlie was talking about knives, and I was talking about knives, and then they started asking questions, and then Charlie and I started telling stories, huh. and it was like it got it became this really, f- and everyone was telling asking more questions and telling more stories, and what happened when we do this, and then we would tell these funny kitchen stories of like you know what happened when these people the at one restaurant I was running for for Charlie these people when I was out sick these people were having sex on the toilet and they kicked one of the uh, pipes and then the pipe burst. <laughs> behind the wall and they had to call the fire department and flooded the whole restaurant and then oh i had God. to come and then we were telling that story like i came in and charlie looks at me i had a fever of 102 and he goes you look like shit where have you been i'm like i've been in fucking bed charlie i'm fucking dead i have a fucking fever and these people blew the kitchen out having sex on the toilet we told that story it's an awesome story and we were laughing about it and it was funny i would do that i would get involved with more restaurants and like have you seen that fantastic um, if, and, if you get a bag of peas and some flour and you sprinkle flour and you make a target on the ground but you still you shove a pea up your nose and you have to actually aim at the target because the flour leaves the mark of where you hit so it's kind of like if you're a bored moment you're kind of shooting peas but using your nose as a <laughs> these are things you do bored in the kitchen like <laughs> well it was no but i mean I, there I, I, I the idea of like i mean i think getting involved with culinary stores or getting involved with a restaurant or maybe you know befriending a restaurant and like doing something like that you could you know, have some grass real grassroots things the follow-up question is what's one thing you guys did that surprised you with the amount of attention it got have you done anything that got an amazing amount of? I think I got a feeling what Marekos is, but let him tell it. <laughs> Me? Yeah. Were you surprised? What was surprised you the most? The amount of attention you got? Oh god! I mean, I've had moments where where I got a lot of attention, but I wasn't necessarily surprised that it was happening. Um, but I would, I guess, the the biggest one was definitely uh, being on Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah. Um, and tricking him to getting me on the show. Did I, did I ever tell you that I actually, I, I didn't trick him. He ended up inviting me, but it was all a ruse from the start. Tell the story. So I was getting ready to go out and meet Neil Kamimura for the first time. This was in 2008 time. I mean, I guess I met him at Blade Show the year, a few months prior. And, and finally we had coordinated and got things together and figured out a time for me to come out. So I was actually scheduled to go out and work with Neil, but I hadn't purchased my tickets yet. And, uh, I had, Joe had already been a customer at that point. And so, um, I had, I, I had offered him in past conversations to come and teach him uh teach him uh not knife making but knife sharpening um and said you know i have friends in la that i visit sometimes which was total bullshit i hadn't visited any friends in la (laughs) (laughs) and you know if i if i if he has the availability it'd be great to connect and i can show him how to maintain his knives and take care of his knives and i don't know like maybe he I, i thought that maybe he we would cook some elk on the on his trigger or some shit like that um so anyways i was getting ready for this trip to go visit Neil. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. So I, I sent him a message and I said, Hey, you know, I'm going to be in LA for a little bit. Um, and if you have availability, let's connect and do the sharpening. If you're interested, I can get, get a hold of the stones and everything. And he's like, yeah, that sounds great. And, um, we started this conversation probably about a month and a half, two months out. And, and we kept like every week or a couple of weeks, I would check in, just double check, you know, when there was a time that would work for him because 
getting that nailed down was really hard because he's obviously a very okay. busy guy. And, um, and I hadn't purchased flight tickets. And then he ultimately was like, what do you think about coming on to the show? So it started out with me pretending like I was going to be in LA and, and that I wanted to connect with him about sharpening. And he ended up inviting me to be on his podcast. Um, and, but yeah, there was an amazing amount of, um, influx, I guess, of, of attention, especially through Instagram from his massive following, uh, at the time. And, and that was really great. Um, but yeah, so it all started as kind of a ruse in a way. And then because of that, I did actually end up making plans to stop in LA because I had some of the flight options were like a, a layover in LA. And I was like, what if it was a prolonged layover for like a few days? So then I ended up, you know, connecting with Adam Perry Lang and doing that thing with him mm-hmm. and, um, and working with Will Brigham and, um, and, telling jason bateman that i didn't want to have dinner with him that was we have to back it up a little bit you can't just this was a this wasn't just a layover this was a high level layover because i remember when you called me to tell me you got onto joe rogan if it was like a few i don't know if it was a month before or a few weeks before we were talking about it yeah and it was just before you and i joined the knife talk podcast that's right the interesting thing about that trip is you say it's a layover you went on Joe Rogan, then you hung out with fucking Jimmy Kimmel and Jason Bateman and 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 Aaron, Adam Perry Lang, who's an incredible chef, and yeah. it was like the layover of layovers. Yeah, sounds like an amazing I mean, that was, trip. That was basically oh my god! It. And then and they and then fucking Jason Bateman invited you to dinner and you turn him down. <laughs> yeah. That is like that should uh, haunt you for the rest of your life. My I'm wife sorry. is still uh, super annoyed with me about. I, <laughs> sorry, I, I don't know who's, who's Jason Bateman. He's in Ozark, and he was in uh, what was he in that was famous? Um, uh, he was in Arrested Development. Arrested Development. Okay. Yeah. He's a pretty famous and famous American. He'd been at it for a long time too. He was like a childhood actor with on yeah. uh, Silver Spoons and all these shows. And he was like a childhood actor who like kind of like became a very famous actor. He's very famous. His sister, I used to love his sister. Oh Justin sure, Bateman. Oh my God, Justine Bateman was it for me when I family when she was on Family Ties. <laughs> family Ties. His oh yeah. my God, oh, yeah. his sister was unbelievable. Fingal, what was the one thing that that you were surprised about from your fame? I mean, you know, the funny thing is, is we talk about his blue check mark. He was on the cover of fucking Food and Wine magazine in Ireland. If that don't get you on a blue check mark, nothing's going to get you the guy. <laughs> I, I, the blue check, like I told you, is probably a mistake that happened, and they probably couldn't backpedal from that. I, I still right, right, that right. was that just happened, and and hey, but the to me the 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 things that have always blow me away are the the food events that i've gone to i've gone to these kind of big cookups these grills these occasions and i think thanks to the food world every one of those you know events will nearly always have some amazing characters travel from far away you know and then some fascinating chef who i will usually end up kind of cooking beside helping out or, or getting to know and usually find yourself pissed with at three o'clock in the morning trying to badly roll a joint or sort of like lean against the fire and sort of like you know, whatever you find yourself <laughs> in these kind of occasions where you actually very quickly become friends with people and so those have helped me more than anything in my in my adventures and misadventures of of knife making because i find myself kind of you know making a knife for them and that therefore then has the knock-on effect and what's more important is i suppose if that person then sort of likes the knife and and kind of uses it then then that that's just part of something that's been wonderful and 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 kind of helps me forward but um i've been to some pretty great events and um yeah one of the surprising ones was actually 
friends invited me over to kind of do this sort of matanza, this curing event with Mangalitsa, which are these woolly pigs. It's a rare breed of pig that literally it's a Hungarian breed that actually grows wool and kind of um, very bizarre, but fantastic kind of origins and history. And um, it was in the middle of nowhere down in, in Cornwall in the UK. But the group, the small group that was there that occasion were just some of the most magical characters. And an event I just thought I was going to be hanging out with friends turned into this sort of quite life-changing event because of the friends I made there and the knock-on things from that. And it's that point where I suppose my knives went from being kind of hobby to actually the beginning point of me actually selling them. And sort of that was the guidance I kind of got. And some of those people have become very important friends over time that have introduced me to other people and those you know that was the sort of the start of my i suppose me feeling like i was coming to meet these magical characters that would influence me and and, and how i make knives hmm. i would say for me the startling thing was when i did that epicurious video how few people criticized the things that I said. No one really said, there's a couple dickheads who said I said the wrong thing, but I was more surprised at how people were focused on my fucking hands. <laughs> I, was, like, I knew my hands were bad. Like, I knew my hands were bad, and I, I knew it, but I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for how many people thought how fucked up my hands were. You know were. when you can pick or up how, a jumper off the floor like Velcro without actually kind of grabbing it? <laughs> or how fat I was, or how fat they said I looked. I could have, like, we we'll pulled it together a little bit more, but the, other than that, I don't. Try being a butcher that. and a farmer. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that said, let's get back to knife making. Hey, Mareko, what kind of what kind of grinder are you using? I'm using my Broadbeck for everything. Uh, Broadbeck makes an incredible two by seventy two inch grinder that lays over on its side, uh, as well as working vertical. Um, you know, it's kind of the Swiss Army knife of the shop. I I have a tendency of saying because it is literally like five or six different machines in one. Um, and if you go to broadbackironworks.com and at checkout when you're ordering your grinder, if you punch in Knife Talk at checkout, um, you will get automatically upgraded to a Mareko Deep Platin, which is an extra deep has an extra deep throat uh, right behind the belt. It's got about four and a half inches of clearance for. Um, being able to heavily contour and sculpt handles uh, ambidextrously versus mostly having to work off maybe the right side. Um, we, I collaborated with those guys to create a platen that really had a lot of freedom and flexibility of movement around the belt, um, especially for handle sculpting. And it's been it's been great, and a lot of people are loving it. Even Mister uh, Mister Nick Anger has uh, one of his own because. Because of that extra clearance, it's it's a game changer for a lot of folks. And so again, go to broadbackironworks.com uh, and at checkout use Knife Talk uh, to get an upgrade to the Marco Deep Platin. Broadback uh, really needs to plug here. things more in Europe, though. I feel they really need to get behind some some European makers and sort of sure. you know, yeah yeah. It would, I think yeah, it'd be a wise yeah, move, Broadback, to like big gap big gap in the market in Europe. Who would be out Ryan there? I'm not. Uh, Who would be out there now to promote? Yeah yeah. You know what? Anybody with that's a blue a, check mark? Really. I mean, you get them a blue, get the fucking blue check mark. Purple, speaking yellow, blue, <laughs> any color check. People speaking of purple check, purple blue check, or blue check marks. I was actually thinking about it because you know, I got a message from Tomer. All we were talking. I think we were at one point on on Knife Talk. We were and we gotta about, say, we gotta uh, say well where to Tomer and his new gaff. 
a beautiful place. Oh, we're going to talk about it in a second because I think we're in the after show already. We got one more plug, but then after that, in terms of the blue check mark, he said, "Tomer, uh, I heard you guys talking about the, the Fingal got the blue check mark." So I, so the only reason why I got it is because I thought, "Huh, why don't I just apply for it?" And he got it. He says, "Thanks to us," and we never got any. Yeah, oh no, thanks to you. I, I tried it after you yeah. talked about it. Fuck. Well, I did get my box of cheese. Half a box. You got half a box of mostly cheese. I got the the cheese, and then the Border Patrol is eating the meat as we speak. Yep. So. Wait, what were we talking about? While paying your parking ticket, speeding. No, we were were talking about something about. um, Something came up. I thought we. I don't know what the fuck we were talking about. Oh, uh. I don't remember. I thought you said something, and I was gonna like we should talk about that. Tomer, you're about to talk about Tomer. Oh, yeah, Tomer's new space is amazing. I I cannot wait to get there, and I know Mm. he just got an even heat, and it's just I don't know if you've seen the Florentine Kitchen Knives new space. He got rid of the spot and ravel. He outgrew that shit easy. Yeah, and this new space of his is like a elbows out, man. Elbows out. Oh, dude, it is gonna be out it's huge what's whatever's going to happen over there and at florentine kitchen knives is going to be awesome but his style you can see the foresight and where he's the originality of the place it's it's got it's got history i feel like the building has history and if the walls could talk there's just something open plan and wonderful that screams out potential and one thing we never talked about that last question about the handles you want to talk about a handle I mean, Tomer has created something that is like his own. He's, it is, it is amazing. I have two of his, I have, I have two of his, I have four, I think I have three of his knives and it's awesome. I mean, he, he makes the awesome knives. I, I have the, his, his original one from Kickstarter. That's right. And it arrived and it was knife number 77 and I was born in 77. I was just, I mean, that was pure coincidence. One of our listeners, uh, Kyle Heath listened to that episode found a couple guys in Norway or something like that selling those Kickstarter knives. And he, like, went all in and got one of the original Kickstarter knives from Florentine. No way. Oh, wow. He, like, he he worked hard to get it. He got a he got one old one. Even Tomer said to me, he's like, Jesus Christ, he got an old one. So they're out there. <laughs> they're out there. So I guess, the, you know, the last question I guess I would ask the both of you is now that we see where we are now, if you were to look to towards your knives in terms of the next evolution of where you're going to go, obviously we're not going to stand still and just, you know, 10 years down the line, they're going to look exactly the same. There's going to be changes. Mm. You're going to make slow evolutions. Where do you see the evolutions in your knives going? And I'll say this with this, with this said, I was, when I was talking to Salem Straub on full blast, it's very clear when you look at his knives and what he's been doing with the pantograph, with the handle. You can see that there is going to be a natural progression where the handle and the knife become more integrated. And that transition between the handle and the knife is, it's not clunky, but it is something like to be addressed. And I know people use keyholes and use all these things. I'm interested to know where you guys think the next evolution of your knives design or function or, or fit or whatever is probably going to be i'll kick it off mm-hmm. go ahead does that sound good yeah uh i so we kind of talked about stuff like this uh either an episode or two back um <clears throat> but i feel like uh i've kind of painted myself into a corner with being regarded as like 
like high quality chef's knife and and like really polished out aesthetics and fancy Damascus and all this stuff. I'm 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 kind of like glitzy guy when it comes to chef's knives and and I didn't really get to have the experience of that graduation or evolution as you refer to it of starting out with rougher stuff and getting better and better and better and I've I've always been a lot more attracted to more especially like um uh like brute de forge knives um like you were talking referring to that maker from France I cannot make it I cannot remember his name Ben right Rakeen yeah uh, Brian does, Rakeen Brian Rakeen yeah he does beautiful work and I've always been more drawn to that style of work I've just I've built my my name and my reputation around the style of knives that I currently make and so what I actually want to start getting into and I've started kind of experimenting with is to how how to have some of that refinement but blending it with some of kind of like the rougher edges of a brute to forge knife um, and kind of a, a like a, a definitely still forged, but not integral, uh, and kind of more traditional style chef's knives, um, and and also trying to work in the direction of not this. Like I used to be on this path of trying to chase like making the most expensive knife because you know I I think part of that comes from my experience working for Bob Kramer, um, and thinking that that's that's where all the the glory is, but. Um, I've found myself actually incredibly unhappy trying to chase that glory and, and not liking that, um, that, that, um, that kind of my work currently is, it's very expensive and, and only people with a shit ton of fucking money can, can afford it. And so trying to work, actually work in, in this in designing a style of knife that still speaks to my style and my approach and my skill, but something that's also, uh, you know, isn't as labor intensive so that I can help to kind of bring that price point down and make my work a bit more accessible as well as being able to kind of explore this other direction of being, uh, you know, doing more like brute to forge rough around the edges, but refined, um, work. When I, when I, just in regards to what you're saying in the beginning, when I say evolution, evolution doesn't have to mean like refinement. Evolution is, is the, where the direction you want to head. Sure. So it's like, that is the direction you want to head. I, I love it. Yeah. Fingal, do you have like a direction you think you're going to be I, I think about towards? it constantly because, and I, I suppose the funny thing is the pressure of knowing that I have another day job and that there is, where's my time best spent? But I know my heart will always lead me to to the sort of the creativity of what I have with the knives. But they both go hand in hand. I've always said, I've always jokingly kind of said that, that I'm always thinking about salamis and G's when I'm making knives. And when I'm making knives and, you know, when I'm making G's and salamis, I'm sort of thinking about, you know, the, the, I, I need both. I'm always going to have it that way. But I, I do think in the future, like I'm, my ambition now, I've already started drawing up plans for a new workshop here in the farm. I think we've outgrown the, the, the small one. I want to kind of get to a position where I can sort of create a sort of some knives. And I've been fine tuning the, the design down to actually being a repetitive, clean process. That I'd be proud to kind of hit go on actually probably getting, you know, cut out blades and sort of speeding up the process in that kind of respect. And actually then focusing on handles and keeping it creative but yet having an affordable range while also knowing that that with people who come to help me i would have knives available that would be affordable that would be logical but not still mass-produced but also 
in a small way the creativity and I suppose the Instagram cannon fodder and creativity coming from bespoke, not bespoke, but, you know, higher end or, or more specialized pieces that I kind of would focus on and kind of keep that creative wheel. So I suppose it's the the the, the problem is, you know, I'd have to rely on other people coming to help me and I've got great friends who can do that. But, you know, it's unfair maybe, is it, to ask somebody else to make the, the, the repetitive knives and actually I can just keep having the sweet job of making the fun ones, <laughs> you know. But I think that we'd probably bounce it around between us all and get to that point where I think there is this important thing of actually having, like I said, my friends, I don't want, I want to have a knife available that, you know, costs a couple of hundred quid. But I still want to give myself those goals of making thousand euro Damascus knives for hopefully people who would who would want those and to keep pushing the the letter. But you know, still being able to make them according to you know not by their design or order, but from from hopefully that they'll buy it from my list of available ones. Um, and I think the balance between the two, how can you have a 200 euro knife and a thousand euro knife on the same list? And I think that if everybody doesn't appreciate that, you know, the, the, the price of different steels, different handle materials, the balance between the two and how can you keep that balance? Um, and I think we, we probably know as makers that you have the availability of systems and, and, um, I suppose outsourcing of certain things available to you for, for, I suppose, routine kind of knife production. And we know that the time and the manners that go into to one-off pieces, but how to sell that and maintain that kind of like and make it attractive to customers. There you go. Bingo what, Ferguson. What, do you what about you, Jeff? You? What about me? Well, yeah. it's, you know, all of a sudden I thought I was in full blast and like fucking wrapping this bitch up. <laughs> 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 I fucking finished it off just like, I was like, all right, there you go. All right. You hadn't, all. you hadn't made me cry yet, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, now you know what now I call myself with the crying is I call I call, I call myself a headhunter. Now I tell now because that stops people crying. I had Derek from Malden, yeah, I had him, I had him crying. I was like, don't worry, I'm a headhunter. They pay me extra for tears. So, uh, in regards to my direction, the Color Lab is the way. This has like been like the best. And now that we're doing sets every year, it's really this is the first year we're doing sets. I'm on my second. I'm on my second knife of the set, which I'm really looking forward to. I'm getting the steel in now, and the offsets rated. I love the color lab, and the cool thing is, is now I have to start really now thinking of what's next year's color. This year's color is great. I mean, it's really like I got. I just hit the nail on the head with it, and now it's like it's it's the thoughtfulness of no. What are we gonna do next year? And there's some options I want to do, and there's some backtracking i want to do and there is also like there's a knife shape i did a couple years ago that i have at home that will be the new nine inch chef knife next year and i'm like i'm so pumped for it because it's a little different than a k-tip and i'll be able to separate out the k-tip from this particular chef knife it's a little different but i have all sorts of ideas but the color lab has has freed me up from a lot it's really become something that's allowed me to. Have you approached Micarta companies to actually bespoke some colors up? I don't. I don't use Micarta. I mean. Micarta, oh, sorry. I, I meant to say, uh, or or G10. I, I have to. I have to. At some point, I'm going to try to talk to more people about G10 because the best part about G10 is the color variations are not very. They're I can limited. order They're limited, batches. Yeah. They're limited, which allows me to just reorder batches, and the colors won't be will be the same. That's the best part is like I don't have to buy like $10,000 worth of, of royal blue. 
You know, like I can, I can get some, and then I can order more. You know, for the next batch, and I can can order more. Because I probably should know this, but is is it down to the dye that's used with a a, a plain colored canvas, or is it a colored canvas and and a plain? You know, which way around is it? I don't know, but I know that it's it's closer to being fiberglass than my Mm, card. Yeah. But in regards to the color, I don't know. I don't know how they make it. I'm, I, do, I don't know at all. All I know is not to breathe it. Yes. So <laughs> I, it's, like, it's like all respirators all the time. Um, but I love it. I mean, it's given me like it's given me a real new feeling. And, and now well, security is, as well, isn't it? I mean, like we, we, we've had a we, I'm sure every maker's had an issue with a, a, a natural material or wood or bone or anything like that. And in the wrong hands or the wrong circumstances. And you don't have that with those materials. There is that slight reassurance that it's, it's tougher. And I can do, I can make sets and then people can buy along the way. So you can order a set from me direct, or you can order along the way. And when you order along the way, the colors are going to be the same. I mean, so if you buy the first one this year and the next one at the end of the year, the colors are going to be the same. So as opposed to like, I, I hate doing sets with like wood, and I end up having to get this, the wood from the same goddamn branch, and then this and that. It's just too much. It's just too much. And, and I don't. It, sometimes they don't match, and maybe the colors are different in different types of wood. And all of a sudden, it's just like, well, that didn't really match. And the G10, I love it. I, if if I never had to do use wood again, and I only use G10, I'd be perfectly happy with that because to me, it allows me to have more control over the handle, like real control over the handle, as opposed to like. Well, this is a nice figured piece of wood, you know. I I give myself a little bit more, a little more work. I actually have to give it to wood that it actually led me to make a larger range of knives. I remember having smaller pieces of wood and therefore thinking I had to make smaller knives and to be efficient because I was buying these very expensive stabilized woods and and like they're cutting large blocks down and you wanted to use everything. So you find yourself making paring knives and petty knives or perhaps making hidden tang knives and that led to that kind of wider range of but you know that was back in the day when you really were so efficient with everything you had nothing had to go to waste there is something interesting speaking of speaking of nothing going to waste if you don't want to go to waste go get yourself some damasteel go to damasteel.se and when you put in promo code knife talk 10 you're going to get oh no you put in promo code knife talk you're going to get 10 percent off that very beautiful a very beautiful damasteel that you don't want to waste any of it and p.s if you're going to cut some out you can you can make a bottle opener with that little piece that's going to be where your handle goes you cut that little section out you make a little kiridashi you make a little bottle opener you're in business with that damasteel so go get yourself that damasteel 10 percent off with knife talk and they have nice shirts they got trousers. You can look, make, make yourself look like one of them beautiful Swedish people knocking it out with a damasteel. So get yourself that damasteel. Hit it all. Promo code knife talk ten. Right, Hats off to you, Fingal. You've got some Damacore blades recently that you finished up that look freaking killer. I, I like the challenge of that. I think having worked with um, San Mai's and Sumanagashi's so much, it didn't feel that intimidating to kind of give it a go. I mean, it could sure. warp like anything else, and you have to to be careful of it. And I have lost Damacor blades in the past, as in to, to you know, oy, oy, oy. Ma, you know, you feel that one. But I mean, that's the risk yeah. and the gamble you take. Um, but yeah, no, I I, I think it, it it is a like I, I told you, there's that original connection to to Bob Loveless. You know, the guy who taught me was taught by Bob Loveless. So I, you know, wow, wow. and that RWL34 Robert William Loveless. So I I feel like I started using that steel, and that even in the day one, I was buying Damas steel. You know, is it cut nearly twelve, fifteen years ago? I suppose was probably the first time I would have been buying that and giving it a go. 
Um, sure. So I think, um, yeah, no, it, it's it is it's a good material. Somebody's got to bring back that Bob Loveless hat. Ah, you know that yes. ro- that hat looks like a Rastafarian train conductor from, yes. the, from the 40s. Somebody got to bring that hat back, you know. Well, guys, it's been a fun show. Fingal Ferguson, thank you so much for chipping in. I know Craig is appreciates it. We got all of our plugs in. Mareko's the man. Craig, we, we're sending you, we're hoping, we're going to fingers crossed that uh, Luigi Putin, Putin Lockwood is going to be coming out soon. We'll find out. We don't know what, he still won't tell us. He still won't tell the name. Won't tell the name. But Fingal Ferguson, obviously you guys know Fingal Ferguson. Go to, fin- you know where he is, FingalFerguson.com, right? Yeah, Fingal, Fingal just put in Fingal and things pop up in the pages, Grant. That's what she and look, that's what she said. And look at <laughs> look at look for the blue check mark. Go to Gabine. Go get yourself that Gabine cookbook. Go get yourself some of that whatever that the cheese and the meat. Go and, and tell the border patrol to knock it off. Stop <laughs> eating my meat. It's the cut fucking, the shit. <laughs> cut the shit and stop eating my meat. Those sons of bitches. All right, guys. We will see you next week. Thanks again, Finkel. Cheers, my dears. Thank you. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.